Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Adult Podcast. I am your host, Mark Salcedo. Uh, I'm also the managing editor and writer at ScreenGeek.net. Um, we want to thank everybody for joining us on this week's show. Uh, if you guys have noticed, uh, it's not Kelsey doing the intro. Um, I took her all back and I shot her. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, she's she's still on vacation. Um having a good old time. She felt like she can get away from me and I told her I'll let her go just this once. And um you know, here we are today, all all alone. Well not really alone. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh so uh if you folks want to find us on our social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the real appeal uh at the real appeal that's real with two e's uh or you can email us at the real appeal at gmail.com um don't be afraid to give us any you know reviews on itunes spotify where the hell you're finding this we are all over the place and uh we like to get noticed like that um so to not make it too sad about kelsey being gone uh, and then you have my sad self just do this podcast <laughs> by myself i brought somebody along with me um her name is Meg. You want to say hi, Meg? Hi, I'm the Meg. <laughs> the Meg. She likes to call herself the Meg. <laughs> if, if it's going to be Meg, it's the Meg. The Meg, yeah. So I'll just refer her as the Meg. No, that's weird. We don't do that. <laughs> what do you think about this? The Meg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, I have I have mentioned in past episodes about my girlfriend, and this is her, uh, the Meg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you gotta stop saying that. I know, I know, I gotta stop, I gotta stop no. saying it. I gotta stop saying it. <laughs> it's, it's so awkward. I know. <laughs> uh, but the reason, the reason why uh, I wanted to bring her on the show, not just as, just as an introduction, but because uh, we're doing documentaries for this week's episode, and she's actually kind of the reason why I really start getting into documentaries. Yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> you got you got that you got that to put mm-hmm. on on uh-huh. your on belt. Okay, so for this week's show, uh, it's going to be a bit of a change up. Uh, our segments are essentially getting to know Meg. Uh, we are going to do a recent review of Summer of Soul, the uh, feature uh, debut from Questlove. Um, our variety time will be the doc that changed Mark's life. <laughs> oh, it's gonna! I can't wait to start talking about that one. Um, and then our uh, geriatric, geriatric cinematic is uh, Gimme Shelter, the 1970 documentary uh, featuring the Rolling Stones. And what, what's, what's I always forget the name of the venue. What was the name of the venue where all that Altamont. shit was? Altamont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Altamont venue and the Hells Angels and people dying and shit like that. Um, it was the, it was a much sadder Woodstock. Yeah, it was the end of the summer of love, even though it was in December. So it was very much winter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the end of 1969. Yeah. So um, the topic for this week is the twos and the fours versus the ones and the threes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of that, <laughs> that one. I feel like I contributed to that. You did. <laughs> you did. Oh, we were laughing so hard at that while watching uh, Give Me Shelter. Um so with that we're gonna go sorry i had to get some notes down with that we're gonna get into our segment which is essentially getting to know meg so uh meg yeah um judging by the sound of your voice you are a cis female correct i I mean yeah that is correct yes (laughs) yes yes um do okay i'll start i'll start it off about how how we met um okay so 
I had been a single mom for a while mm-hmm. and I poured my energy into my kids and into my career in school and about every, I don't know, like year or so I'd be like, mm. if I don't like try to date somebody, I'm going to mm-hmm. die alone because I'm getting way too comfortable at this. Mm-hmm. And it'd be a cycle that would validate my experience and then I'd be like, mm, okay, well, I'll try again and enough time's gone by. Yeah. And then I just happened to meet you. Yeah, and you and um, that's the thing. We met. We met during a time, uh, pretty much like the beginning of the. Well, I, I feel like you're kind of underselling it. No, it was <laughs> the very beginning. We started talking the very beginning of COVID. Yeah, the whole pandemic and the yeah. like the lockdown, yeah. which is in 2020. So it was an online dating thing, uh, which is a total fluke because you because a lot uh, of people have nothing but horror stories from that. Like, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of those horror stories, which really was like I don't want to date because yeah. of those stories but I do have to preface it with that I have a friend who um, was another nurse that I was working with and she met somebody off mm. of like the same app that we used and so then it was my like little like nagging voice like okay well yeah, if you I'll had a positive it. experience with it yeah I will see and um I was about to begin my cycle of like, ugh, I hate everyone again. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you and I started talking, but because of COVID, and it was like the very beginning, mm. and then being out of my house in a hotel because my house was under construction. Yeah, uh, It was a while before we were able actually to go out. So we got to like know each other pretty well just through like talking. Yeah, and that was like over what, about five months mm-hmm. we were just like texting back and forth and mm-hmm. everything like that um yeah yeah as megan said it was uh, to be a little bit more uh, specific with the dating app service or something like that yeah it's facebook dating it's facebook dating yeah <laughs> and, and the funny thing is like i've tried dating the only dating service i've ever tried was uh was tinder because i heard because i had heard that it works or whatever and plus i have a friend who met his his wife on on tinder yeah and, and i thought well let's see what let's see what's up and the first time I actually used Tinder, uh, I had my niece with me. We're like just going through like these profiles and we're just laughing like, nope, nope. Ew. Sometimes it can be an ego boost, though, like especially yeah. if you're a woman, because yeah. mostly men use those apps. A lot of times women are not real on there, yeah, which is yeah. part of why men have a negative experience with that. Yeah, yeah. And it it wasn't it wasn't so much negative as on my end. It was just more like, well, this is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I never been a person to try dating apps. I like to communicate with somebody actually meet somebody get to know them then i think we pretty much all do though yeah but i i think because i know how like some people they 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 prefer the dating service because it's kind of like weeding through like the well, good the bad and stuff like that you gotta say dating app not a dating service yeah, because yeah, i'm not an app. escort yeah. but <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> let's get that through she's not an escort no but also um i don't know this is this is just how you how you meet people nowadays like this is Mm. kind of the default so it's like dating anybody there's going to be a lot of garbage until (laughs) until you get lucky and and find your person Mm. um yeah so uh, (laughs) it it does happen it can happen but and also too like tinder gets a bad rap look it knows what it is yeah it's not trying to be anything other than it's just like a hookup service sure and there's nothing wrong with that you if you want to i mean grinder exists for a reason growler exists (laughs) for a reason whatever it is you want to do man what's growler it's for bears Oh, okay. Yeah, there's well, a, the gr- okay. Bro, that makes sense. <laughs> it, sh- it shows how uh, it shows how out of touch I am with like technology in that in that realm. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I had because I had talked to a few people on Facebook dating. It's kind of conversations back and forth. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, but it wasn't really amounting to anything. And I'm the type of person that um, if I can carry a conversation with this person on like whatever I'm using, Mm -hmm. then it's just like talking is not. Talking is not going to be as as uh, positive as I like as I like to be. I'm the same way. And the funny, and one of the things, this is kind of give you an idea, folks, of how much of a grammar Nazi that I am, that I would, I would see people's profiles and like, if I, if the sentence didn't make any sense, or even if like they use the wrong word or punctuation was not there, I would just be like, no, no, I'm not talking to that person. Oh, Hmm. We, didn't, we didn't say why we started talking though. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to, do you want to tell that story? Yeah, I mean, so I saw his profile and he said something that made me laugh hysterically. And it's Mm. like those cheesy questions of like the getting to know you things. Mm. And it was song that can always get me out on the dance floor. And he said, goodbye, horses. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was like the lyrics, too, that I had like typed. Nope, you just said the song. And I was the only person who got the joke. Yeah. And yeah, she got the joke, and which of course it's what is the, the silence. The, the silence of the lambs with a killer dances to with his dick tucked between his legs. Yeah, yeah. And th- there were, I think there was another person who did kind of get the joke, but like, it was more just like, haha, that's funny, and like that's it. But it didn't like blossom like how um, how the conversation between Meg and I went through, and <laughs> and then and you and you did something that I have never encountered like me myself personally what i do you were like hey this is that here's my number yeah because i hate talking on those but i feel like that's been our entire relationship is Mm. um i told you we were dating you told me we were were dating (laughs) you told me we were dating three months like no was it like no 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 you said like I, we were, I think we were in a couple months into it, and we we're like, oh, we're dating. I'm like, all right. And then you're like, well, we were actually dating like the first time we met. And I was like, uh, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> no, not quite. Okay, but, okay, but I correct, do, I correct do, me. I do consider that when we started dating. Okay. Because of, because we did. Like, we hit it off, like, amazingly well once we, like, actually physically got together and, mm. and hung out. And it was, like, within less than a month of our first date that we're saying I love you. So that's what I'm saying is yeah. like, ugh, just count the first date is when it started because I'm not a total psycho. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of push me in the corner and be like, we're dating. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know what you, you know what you want. No, you're a total stone cold psycho if you thought that we <laughs> weren't by anybody's metric. I, I mean, I, I hadn't really like dated anybody what like four years or something like that you know i mean i don't know by whose standards if you're exclusively dating somebody (laughs) and you tell them you love them (laughs) and you've met their kid i mean i'm not talking i I know i'm talking to a guy there's a lot of guys who are gonna be like "Mm, i I have several people that i tell that to at the same time red flags bro (laughs) (laughs) i know what i want yeah (laughs) um but yeah yeah so from there and look and one of the things, I mean, like, one of the things that, like, we were able to really hit off is, like, we had, like, a lot of, like, pop culture references and stuff like that we can get into. And, like, movies and stuff. And I'm always, like, a movie junkie. So if you can, like, keep up with me with, like, the movie reference, I'm just like, all right, you're, like, good in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was very skeptical to meet your kids. Like, be- we didn't have a choice. We were in a panty. I, I, yeah, I know. I, it's that panini. It was the panini. 
What, what place there's Pan- Panera? There you go. <laughs> it was that damn Panera. <laughs> um, but like, cause like you, cause you actually made me. I don't say like you made me do this, but like you had me kind of like reevaluate what I was looking for. Cause my whole thing is, and this is gonna make me sound like an asshole, but I mean, I'm not gonna deny that I wasn't an asshole and can be at times. Well, I, my whole thing was like, if I'm gonna be with somebody. I don't want them to have kids because I don't want somebody else's trash. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not no, saying I know. I'm not saying Meg's kids are tra- trash. Yeah. Like those, like I, I enjoy those boys. Those boys are like funny as hell. Yeah. Um, but that was just my thing because I have a kid. I have a kid of my own. Yeah. I didn't want any more kids. It's just, well, I'll tell you because uh, so Mark and I refer to the guy that I was with before him as Venmo, uh-huh. and we shall refer to him as this. He didn't have any kids. Yeah. And I thought, yay, that's cool. No baby mama drama. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, 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 that that's a positive. But I will tell you, no, because uh, I started because da- I did go out on a few dates with people who didn't mm. have kids. Because uh, to me personally, it doesn't matter as long as somebody doesn't want any more kids. Mm. Um, but no, somebody doesn't understand being a parent yeah. like like the way that you are with your daughter, the way that I am with my kids. Like they come first, and that's part of why we get along. Yeah, yeah, and. That's why, you know, it makes it like that's how we're able to kind of have a connection. Like it's it's funny because like I don't I I can't I I get I guess I lie to myself with this. I claim to be this person who doesn't really enjoy other people's kids. You do. And the funny thing is, it's like yeah, I do because like I was a kid at one point. Like like just this past Sunday, we were at kind of like a hanging out with Meg's uh, brother in law. Yeah, like brother in law and stuff like that, and. His his uh, and there was a friend that brought his kids, and then here I am playing with their kids. Wait, wait, wait. So you had yeah, you had two elementary school age kids uh, and my f- giant fifteen year old who's bigger than you. Yeah, on the end of a pool noodle that you were swinging around <laughs> in the pool. Yeah, you don't enjoy kids. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm the one chucking them in the water mm-hmm. and everything. I'm just like yeah, I don't like kids, and I'm playing with kids nonstop and stuff like that. Even um, even like in past episode when Kelsey and I talk about her kids i play with those kids like if they're my kids yeah you're you're funkle to everybody else's kids i guess as meg says i have uh i have essentially five kids now i have my mm-hmm. daughter i have kelsey's kids and mm-hmm. i have meg's kids deal with it i yeah i gotta deal with it i'm gonna mm-hmm. be I'm, I'm gonna be a grandpa to so many kids mm-hmm. so many of them mm-hmm. <laughs> um so okay, so do you want to get a, a so just to kind of get a little bit oh, I remember so just kind of get a little bit of the background of Meg's life, not in full extent. Um, you work in the in the in the medical profession, right? Yeah, I'm a nurse, so I'm everybody's free medical advice, mm-hmm. and then I'm also in school right now for um, my doctorate is a nurse practitioner. It's mm-hmm. not like being a doctor, but it's like the highest nurse degree you can have as a DNP. Yeah. So that feels like it'll never end. Oh my god, you need to stop that. You got just two more years and you're done. Yeah, two more years and I've already done three. So anyways, that's gonna fly yeah, by. Yeah, it'll yeah. fly by. Yeah. So I've been a nurse for like half my life at this mm. point. So um, and a damn good one too. I am a really good one, but because of that trauma, um, I do have severe trauma brain and I forget stuff. So if you mm. 
have to remind me like, oh, no, we totally talked about that. And I go, what? <laughs> That's part of it is <laughs> trauma. Repress it. Repress it. Repress it with alcohol. <laughs> well, one thing one thing I always thought about cool that I always thought was cool with your medical profession is that you, you just weren't like an RN. You like were in the helicopters and shit like that. Like I've seen you. Yeah. I've seen your flights. I've seen in your flights, but I've seen your flight suit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I've always been like. Like I like I remember when you told me about that and told me about like oh I used to do this I do this I mean you're still in the medical profession but more like in a different position yes um, but even like the past stuff you told me I was like why is this girl talking to like yeah. I'm shit compared to this woman yeah I mean I um, like when I would meet people I would try to be vague about what exactly I did as a nurse because it's so specific that mm. it would like a hundred percent tell you exactly where I worked for yeah. and I didn't want a bunch of randos showing up in my work oh I can imagine <laughs> that some, some person you're talking on on, yeah. on some dating service and they're like why she didn't call me back yeah exactly but um, yeah I used to do transport nursing as part of my job so I used to get to fly or sometimes I'd be in the back of ambulances mm. um, which was cool because it was a much smaller team mm. um but because i've worked in healthcare so long i do not enjoy any medical shows or any medical movies because they're all wrong they're all wrong okay you don't enjoy watching those you enjoy my breaking it i down. enjoy watching them with you because i'm like tell me what is wrong with yeah. this and you just go off like yeah. just go off on that shit well and then to be clear if i mean i'm, I'm an, i've been an icu nurse which means i'm very type a about nursing mm. like you you are very particular you're kind of a control not you kind of you are a control freak about the way that your room is laid up the way that your patient is like mm. this is my space this is my patient so i feel the same way when i see it in movies it's like this is wrong there's mm-hmm. so much wrong with this who was the consulting person <laughs> on this because they don't work in healthcare? Uh, and somebody just slammed, somebody just slammed <laughs> the door like, shut up! <laughs> um, so, so, okay, so let's get into the whole... Because uh, you, you have a... Like like how I love like a certain genre in film, mm-hmm. or just like film in general, you have like a profound love for documentaries. Yeah, I do. Um there's so many times that I've come over and you're like in the middle of like a documentary or in the middle of your second or third documentary for the day. <laughs> and Meg, Meg has like, she, she watches all these different types of, of documentaries, but there's normally like two, two types of documentary. I can see her watching either something really depressing or what, something that's just about like kids or some shit. Or? Well, no, cause the, you also, you gotta remember. I like, What's my other thing? I love a stand-up comedy too. Oh or, yeah, or oh, have yeah. like an a- like an encyclopedic comp- or knowledge of like stand-up mm. comedy, especially current stand-up comedy mm. and specials and comedians and also documentaries. Yeah, and um, and like it was at, like and Kelsey has kind of like tried to push me to certain documentaries, but mm-hmm. it's it's never they've never really stuck because I've been like, oh, that sounds interesting. I don't know, you know, and some of them I have I have watched in my in my spare time, but. There's like one particular documentary, which will, you know, like I said, we'll get into it in the second. It changed your life, man. It changed my life. I, I saw a documentary. I was just like, all right, just give me more. I need more of this like wild ass <laughs> bullshit, like this wacky shenanigans yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of have to thank you on that because yeah. now I'm just like, oh, cool. I want to watch this documentary. I've gotten so many people into documentaries with that one documentary, I have to tell you. Really? Yeah. I mean, we're like, I they, where people will still talk to me about it to this day. Because I recommended it to them. I know. I actually, I, I, 
I, that that is definitely a documentary I definitely want to revisit because it's just like wild. It's it's super wild, and that's and like how how you had told me like you got to watch this. I want to go to other people, but like you got to watch this now. <laughs> it's like so bonkers. Yes. Um, okay, so I mean that's a little that's a little bit about Meg. Well, I'm sure we're getting to more details about her as the show goes on. Um, but uh, well, no, but uh, we're just gonna go ahead and jump into our recent review of Summer of Soul. Ready? Are you ready to listen to all the beautiful black voices, the beautiful black feeling, the beautiful black waves moving in beautiful air? Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened. Six weekends of major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community. The styles were changing. Music was changing. And revolution was coming together. That concert took my life from black and white into color. We wanted progress. We are black people and we should be proud of this. We were coming together to say this was our world and how beautiful it was. The Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Uh, the synopsis is, the feature documentary follows the legendary 1969 Harlem Culture Festival, which celebrated African-American music and culture and promoted black pride and unity. Um, directed by Questlove, um, it features, features people like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Chris Rock, uh, C.B. Wonder, Jesse Jackson, uh, Marlene McCoo, uh, Billy Davis Jr., and just like a plethora of like musical acts and stuff like that um so meg yeah uh being a love of a lover of documentaries what, what did you think of this documentary um you know what i i would say it was solid actually one of the things that i love the most is something that it's not spoiling anything for oh yeah, for yeah, anyone, yeah. which we were going to say too as we break this down no spoilers in this because you can get everything you need to know from the trailer yeah 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 and it's and it's history i mean yeah. it's it's not there's like no like profound yeah. kind of twist but we're just going to kind of yeah. just go into it in detail so to me what makes a good documentary is um without bias you're getting like a genuine snapshot into something into mm. somebody's life or into the way that something was and um, the gentleman that they had at the beginning who was there in the neighborhood and thought he hallucinated this whole thing, just the look on his face and how emotional it was for him to see this footage. Mm. Like, to me, that was, um, I guess, one of the, uh, more or less how, how I think about it is it meant so much to all of these people. And it was clearly a love letter about this moment in time. So yeah, in regards to that, I think it was very solid. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because like, like as, as as the other as the other title has you know when the revolution could not be televised. It's interesting because like nobody like had heard about, or nobody had really talked about this this festival, you know that was actually like its third year in, 
Um, and nobody had like talked about like, especially like the the musical acts like BB King was there, Nina Simone, uh, Sly, and the and the Family Stone. Ooh, they were all about Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah, though. exactly. Uh, Gladys Knight was there. Mm. Uh, what's what's it called? Uh, the Fifth Dimension was there. Like it was like these great musical act and it, acts, and it wasn't just like one day. This was like a span over six weeks. Yeah, six weeks. Because there were so many costume changes from the dude who put it on. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the dude's name. I think it was like, it's Tony Lawrence. Tony Lawrence. That okay. I've never heard of Tony Lawrence, but as soon as he like came out and was just like interacting shit, I was just like, I gotta find out everything about this guy. Well, he's a lounge singer, right? And they said yeah. they basically said he just um, could put deals together based on like half promises, uh-huh. and so he ended up getting all these people together and like connecting them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was like. And you'll 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 actually hear the parallels between this and Gimme Shelter, where in this, um, like there's their type of security. It wasn't the police. Um, the Black was, Panthers. Yeah, it was the Black Panthers. I remember there was like one it, cop there. Like, well, it was the Black Panther Panthers initially because the cops were like, "Nah, we don't want anything to do with you." Yeah, and and <laughs> the Black Panther, like depending on where what part of history you read, like they get a bad rap. Yeah. People are just like Black Panthers were terrorists. They're worse than KKK yeah. and all that kind of stuff like that. No. And this was like a case where it was just like, no, the Black Panther was just like. We just want everybody to have a good time yeah. and enjoy ourselves. And I've I've heard, and you and I have discussed this, that people have said that, you know, the way that you view the Black Panther Party or which version of Black Panther Party you get really mm. depends on the one that you are in. Mm. So people forget a lot of the um, educational programs they did mm. or the food service programs they did. Like there were a lot of community yeah. outreach stuff in there. People just think about them carrying guns. I know, and that, and and I think that kind of speaks to like. Uh, the person's perspective if, if all you think about is black people scaring guns and that's oh, scaring guns carrying guns and that's the most scary thing and it's just like yo there are people like now who are just like i have to carry my ar-15 yeah. in a fucking subway yeah and to be fair the only reason why you got an assault rifle ban was because you had black people in california carrying them yeah yeah and so which which <laughs> which i'm glad you said that because this movie just doesn't cover the uh like the festival itself, it, mm-hmm. it covers like what was going on around the world and how effective, how how much the world affected everybody and affected this concert. Yeah. Like, there's this really great part where um, where Questlove kind of does this like uh, I might butcher this word like this juxt- juxtapose kind of thing, where at the time uh, like they landed on the moon. I, I can't yeah, remember. What, yeah, yeah, no, it was happening while they were in the park, and one yeah. of the people that was interviewed. Oh, so those interviews were um, a local news station mm-hmm. did an hour long like recap of these like every single night they would like televise it. So that's part of why you had the news crews there. But they had interviewed somebody and he, and they were like, oh, what do you think about landing on the moon? Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, I mean, I guess, but this is more important to me what's happening right now. Yeah, this like this is affecting me and my people. You know, I don't mm-hmm. really care. You know, I don't really care that Whitey landed on the moon. <laughs> as, as the famous poem goes. Um, okay, so what did you think of? Because, like I said, this is Questlove's yeah. first doc. I think this is his first, like anything. I think he did a great job of putting it together. My only critique is mm. because there's, you know, like 50 hours worth of footage that mm. nobody's seen. Um, was that there were a lot of time spent on acts that that maybe people weren't going to be as stoked on as other acts you had nina simone you had bb king you had stevie wonder Mm. you had sly and the family stone and they gave sly like a a, a fair amount of time nina simone got a couple songs but but then they had a lot on like 
on gospel or the fifth dimension doing like Aquarius. <laughs> yeah, which I think that was I think that was interesting how they focused on on the fifth dimension and how like I felt like I felt like that whole thing with the fifth dimension could have been its own separate documentary. Yeah. Um because because the people in that group were talk talking about how People thought like they were a white group, yes, and that they sounded white. Yeah, well, everybody thought that they were until they saw the picture of them up in the balloon on their album cover. Like, wait, what? Yeah, and that's a funny thing because like that's the first thought that popped in my head when I heard like Age of Aquarius. I was like, oh, this is a white. These are white people, and I just so happened to to see that cover of like them in the weather and the uh, balloon. Then the balloon and being up, like, up and away. Yeah, yeah, just like. <laughs> okay these people are black i I still dig it but damn that's kind of that kind of fucked my whole shit up yeah and well which um what's her face the chick oh from uh dimension um i think it was marlon uh, mccu yeah she said how does voice have have a race race in it yeah well and it's the same thing it was like they said it was really important for them to be there in front of their people and to have that acceptance by Mm. their community yeah as like doing their music, I don't know. They looked, they looked like Thanksgiving turkeys, though. Oh, with the outfits they were yeah. wearing. <laughs> their outfits looked like the hands that you have your kids make on like a brown paper bag. <laughs> and, and you're like, yeah, I'll put this on the fridge <laughs> yeah. for yeah. now. A hundred percent. It was like orange vests, mm-hmm. like brown pants or something. It was, uh. ooh, it was a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's one thing that I noticed in this documentary that I think worked worked really well was that you can. S- where they talk about like the there's a shift within the documentary and a shift within the festival because before uh like near the beginning like like i said we had the fifth dimension we had gladys knight and the pips uh playing and then um i can't remember who else was playing before them uh it was the gospel acts that we just forgot because it was like okay this one goes into this one goes into this one yeah and then like how you got a kind of like sense of like the people the attendees who were there they were enjoying it they liked it they were about it and everything and then like when sly and the family stone like came on <laughs> everything just like shifted oh even the the energy in the crowd and i thought it, the crowd was actually one of the most interesting parts of the whole documentary to me because mm. just seeing the difference in the way that people are addressed and that was something that i pointed out to you before somebody else pointed it out yeah. and, which they brought up when they brought up sly yeah is that you had all these bands that were really polished all these motown bands that had like the matching ensembles and then, yeah like kind of like the doo-wop kind of yeah, era and yeah, stuff yeah. like that and then you saw sly and they were just out there in like <laughs> shenanigans uh-huh. <laughs> yeah you, you you had pointed out that um that the lead singer like you can you can kind of figure that that's where prince may have gotten mm-hmm. his style from just yeah. the way how he was dressed up yeah he was prince before prince was prince yeah um i don't remember who i don't remember who said that it might have been somebody from the fifth dimension um no it was um it was uh, God, it, it was like it was, it was a, a pip was it a pip it was a pip yeah it was it was a member of the pip and he had said like he, he said when sly and the family stone came out and they're in their outfits we knew we had we knew that we were no longer going to be wearing the same outfits like again <laughs> we weren't going to be matching anymore but you could see that in the crowd too is that there were people in the crowd who mm. had like suit and tie out there and mm. it looked hot it was july yeah um and then there were people out there in like kente cloth and daishikis and yeah and they even cover that within the documentary they talk mm-hmm. about like the importance of of a daishiki and everything and the style it was yeah. covering because it was the beginning of black is beautiful and that was really the year of 69 that they were saying it was i mean in black culture that they became like 
that they felt free. Yeah. Civil rights was definitely not, <laughs> not one or over, but at least yeah. there was like self-love in the summer of love. Yeah. There, there's one part of the documentary that um, I really enjoyed. And I, I think both of you, both you and I had agreed that like, oh, if, like which act that we, we would really want to see if we were there. And we we're like, oh, yeah, totally like Nina Simone. And there's this part in the documentary where like Nina Simone is she's going to read like a poem that her friend had wrote. <laughs> Well, I had said before, because uh, I do love Nina Simone, I know Nina Simone would not love me. And, uh, I'm, okay, and I'm okay with that. And I understand it. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I mean, on behalf of my people, I uh, get it. I'm sorry. Yeah. She like, Nina Simone like starts off with just like this energy, like, are you, you know, brothers and sisters, are you ready to like, kill? Give, yeah, to give it all? Do you, do you give your energy and your spirit and to kill? Like... And she doesn't say like she doesn't say like kill Whitey or anything like that. She pretty much did. <laughs> yeah, like maybe she was like picking out the white people yeah. in the crowd, like kill this person, that person, yeah. that person. And there was so so Meg is white, but Meg is also Mexican, and yeah. And so I I lean into that Mexicanness when convenient. <laughs> I said I would have to be in the crowd, very tan, very very tan. <laughs> I can just I can just picture like Nina Simone like say that are you guys ready to kill Whitey and stuff like that and then like I turn and then turn my head back if you're there and somehow you're like wearing a sombrero or like a Mexican no. outfit no sombreros because I did not like seeing what was the band they had some sombreros on their head I don't like that I'm not a fan of that um, I don't remember which band it was I keep thinking it was Sly I keep thinking it was Sly and the Family yeah. Stone but it it might have been they were I just mean, that wild um, like when it comes to like appropriation for the most part I don't care about a lot of stuff because i don't really feel like it's my place to care that much but sombreros mm. bother me because of the negative stereotype oh, yeah, yeah. associated with them with like the little like siesta dude it's usually white people on cinco de mayo getting really turned so yeah. like the same, it's the same thing if you saw a white person in like kente cloth you'd be like yeah like you shouldn't be wearing that like at all <laughs> no no i tell i totally yeah. get you I totally get you um so there was one one thing that i really i really admire um was when they were talking what I don't remember what was the guy's name who who helped put it together um but he was talking about like how uh how he was going to shoot this whole thing and that he didn't the guy did not have like access to lighting lighting yeah and he and they actually thought ahead like well enough ahead to be like okay it has to be like the stage has to be like on the west side yeah or it has to like face that. west yeah and to get all like this sun and everything and um, obviously, like the the documentary has been up res over time and stuff like that. I think it was Hal Tunick. I think Hal Tulchin. Tulchin. It looked beautiful. Yeah, and how? Um, yeah, 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 and how the documentary it like it obviously it's been it's been it, it, it's been cleaned up and it's stuff. It's been like, lovingly restored, which is amazing considering it was sitting in somebody's basement for fifty years. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was getting into. Like I, it, like the fact that like. They had the forethought to be like, okay, we have to plan this out like just perfectly because this is going to be like a once in a lifetime thing, and um, it is important to like immortalize this in in film and to make sure that it's never lost and shit yeah. like that. And it's just so weird that um, well, not really weird. I mean, I can see why it happened, but like how they couldn't sell it to like other stu- um, to studios to uh, to air. Because I believe at that time, like, Woodstock had happened. Yeah. And they had, and the dude even was like, oh, this is like black Woodstock. Yeah. And it didn't help at, at all. No, nobody was interested in it. Yeah. Which is shocking considering, I mean, you had Stevie Wonder, you had B.B. King in there. Like, 
you had people who were really big names slime the family stone was yeah. huge like that oh that was the thing that i loved the crowd just uh, they lost their minds they like started like like pressing pushing in. each other and it was like the that. most violent the crowd got which the crowd was not violent at all like mm-hmm. somebody said it smelled like afro sheen and, and chicken and, chicken. <laughs> and fried chicken in that and crowd chicken. it looked super fun it, there were lots of kids there like it mm-hmm. looked like a party because it was these people's neighborhood like a lot of them could just walk there but when sign the family stone was getting on you could see like the press forward and the mm-hmm. crowd kind of like having a little bit of a wave as they're moving in mm-hmm. and um the the guy on stage, the host, the MC, was like, "Well, if you guys can't simmer down, we can't bring him out." And then they calm down. Yeah, and everybody actually calm down. Which is such a stark <laughs> contrast for where we're going later. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, and even and even during this uh, festival, there was like kids there. Like I can like I like if 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 I was alive at that time as a, uh, a kid in Harlem, I'm sh- damn sure my mom would have took me out there. Mm-hmm. It's to- free. Yeah, that's the thing. It was like free. It was absolutely free. Especially single parents. It's like free entertainment. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. Outside, yeah. I get you out of my house. Yeah, this is this is the type of place that you can tell that, um, like family, uh, parents bring their kids and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and then the you know maybe like a, one of the, their kids is not feeling it, and they're like gonna go off and play, and then the mom would just be like, yeah, just make sure you're back here. Yeah. And like that's it. And what they say it was attended by like three hundred thousand people, or yeah, I think it, I think the numbers was three hundred thousand yeah. people. Um, I'm not seeing the numbers on it right now. But that seems like I could see three hundred thousand people being there at any given time. Like that, like com- combined over six weeks, that seems lowballed. Mm. Don't you think? Um, yeah, I mean, and I. But I, I think because because Altamont was two hundred fifty thousand to five hundred thousand people. I think was is how many attended it. Well, I think I think when it came I think when it came to summer. Oh no, it's about three hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, it was three hundred thousand people. I think what happened was I think the reason why it was three hundred thousand. Uh, actually, you know what? That's that's not too bad because, um, in Woodstock, that was four hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. So I think that is something that something that that is that that's very telling that this little festival that had essentially one stage and it was in this like pocket in New York, mm-hmm. which some people call Harlem, like a city within a city, mm-hmm. can attract three hundred thousand people. And um, like it, it didn't go into details about like people came out of state or anything like that. But that seemed like this really seemed like a generally like a neighborhood kind of thing. Um, like I, they don't go into like how the word got out, but I'm, I'm sure I imagine it's like a series yeah. of flyers and stuff like that. Um, actually, I think they might have said like something popped up on the radio. Uh, yeah, something. And then the other thing to remember too is that they did have a day that like, or at least acts that uh, were Afro-Cuban or not Afro-Cuban, but like um, like Afro-Latino. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I put which is where you got Lin Manuel Miranda and Luis Miranda. Yeah, yeah. When I, sh- when I sh- when I saw them talking, I was like, you know what? I mean, there's you- there's other people that live. <laughs> in New York, <laughs> that are that are Latin. Okay, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a slight dig at in the Heights, but you got more Afro Latino representation in Summer of Soul than you did in that, you did. In that movie. Um, and it still wasn't Lin Miranda or Luis Miranda. I know he probably. I bet you he was like, "Fuck, why didn't I think of that?" <laughs> um. So I, I I have a distinct feeling that like when uh, the Oscar season comes around, like this is going to be like a top contender. I would actually be surprised. 
I wouldn't be surprised if it actually won. I don't know. Because, I, and we talked about this with the documentaries that won this oh, year. It yeah. was like My Octopus Teacher. It wasn't a bad documentary, but it definitely wasn't my favorite. And it wasn't even in like my top two. <laughs> um, the, what, the one that should have won was Crip Camp. But the thing with Crip Camp is it was, it won, it was political. And mm. it was political about a part of the country that makes people uncomfortable. Mm. And I think this is kind of also in one of those same things where it deals with a lot of people being uncomfortable because they have to they have to check their own bias and do a lot of the work on themselves for this mm. and and really why did you not know about this because of woodstock because of the other festivals that were happening that year like mm. there were a lot of festivals happening that year yeah. and this one got buried well I, that's a, that's that's the thing like because i i like I, one of the reasons i think that crep camp didn't win and how what was the, what's the other one? my favorite my octopus I, teacher I, what a fuck that doc anyway um i think the re- one of the reasons why i think crib camp didn't win is because I, I told you this uh before that like it it may it probably made people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and some are so there's no i mean there might be some people who might feel uncomfortable in, in the sense of like oh i wish i knew about this yeah. or something like that but it's not at the crib camp level where like oh I, no it, it was really uplifting it was mm-hmm. really affirming but we also have the country that we live in Mm. I mean, look yeah, at where people right. are even debating on what you're teaching your kids on racism. So that's such a fuck that. Yeah. So I, th- that's the only thing I think. So I think if you put some sassy octopus up in there again, <laughs> uh, they might have a harder time. Okay. So, you know, I forgot. I, I forgot to mention. Yeah. Al Sharpton shows up in this documentary quite oh, a bit. Al Sharpton. And. And Jesse Jackson, who has gotten old. I was more surprised by old Jesse Jackson than I am by skinny Al Sharpton. He's been skinny for a while. I think that's mm. why I've acclimated to it. Like, mm-hmm. he'll always have the perm. Yeah. But he got skinny. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, okay, so yeah, there, it was actually about 40, wow, 40 hours of live footage. And this has been compiled to, like, what, maybe like a two-hour documentary? Mm-hmm. I would actually be really curious to see, like, the rest of that that documentary. Yeah. And the bands that we didn't get to see play. Because they, they really kind of cherry-picked. And that, I think, I, I was interested in as well. Because it seemed like there was, like, the gospel day. Yeah, yeah, and that that is to me that that seems to be the only. Um, I mean, I, I that's the thing. I know like gospel. I mean, for people who people should know this, I'm kind of like a. It's kind of, it's kind of like a common knowledge how gospel and then like Christianity. It's like such like quintessential in like the black community and stuff like that. So I can understand why they would put that in there, but it is it is kind of bothersome that. They focused on it for what, maybe like 15, 20 minutes or something like that? No. Was it longer than that? There were three acts. So, I mean, it was easily, it was easily a third of the movie. Was it really that long? I mean, the fifth dimension, just the fifth dimension got like 15, 20 minutes on the fifth dimension. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would be. I would like some more Gladys Knight, please. That, and I would have actually seen, liked to have seen more B.B. King. Oh, yeah. I would have definitely said it. Because, like, Baby King shows up, but he's, like, in the dock for, like, maybe five minutes or something yeah, like that? barely. And Stevie Wonder, they they started it strong with Stevie Wonder, and mm. then he went away for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he came back, and I was like, God damn, fucking Stevie Wonder. Like, he's too good. He's too good sitting there playing the drum set. But we did have a moment where we we wondered about Stevie playing piano. 
Oh yeah, where like CB Wonder and like if 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 you folks have ever seen like a performance by CB Wonder, he's like animated. He's just like all over the place, like hitting them keys and everything. And he got to a point where he's hitting the keys and he's going His body's turning. Yeah. And he's going further down the keyboard. And he'd had somebody on stage with him when he was walking around to help, yeah. kind of help guide him and keep an umbrella over his head or something like that. Uh-huh. But in this instance, he was going towards the edge of the keyboard and somebody had to guide him back on. And I'm thinking, wait, how do you play the keyboard if you're not aware of where you are on the keyboard? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, like, and, the, and even just like a common knowledge of a keyboard, it's like normally it's just like straight across. There's like no like turning of the body unless you got like uh another setup to yeah. the right or to the left or something like that and and if it were now you'd kind of wonder if it was like pre-recorded and they just looped <laughs> it in but it was 1969 so you knew there was no like chicanery with that like yeah. it was at the time but it sounded perfect um so the other act that we keep we keep kind of forgetting uh in the afro-latino like section well more afro-cuban jazz is uh ray barreto mm-hmm. um I, that, now i had never heard of this guy but I wanted more of him. Like it was like I really enjoyed like what I was hearing from his music and stuff like that. And like I said, they they could have put pushed more of that gospel stuff like all the way. Yeah, and and gotten more into that because there is a really big Afro Latino community who gets overlooked a lot of times, like mm. by everybody. And that's that's usually the problem when you have any duality of your existence. You don't fit in anywhere. Yeah. Um, so they even they even kind of get into the whole politics within the documentary because they bring in. Uh, the New York mayor, uh, John V. Uh, Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, who came out. And I, I, I'm i curious to know more about that cat because... Um, he was beloved. Yeah, like they show like all this footage and pictures of him like going into the community, talking to people and stuff like that. And um, that's, that's somebody also that I would like to kind of find out more. I think the reason why um, maybe they didn't talk too much on him or stuff like that is because it was gonna people you're gonna distract from a nice beautiful story of about a black community with a white dude and we have enough of that yeah yeah plus like people like if you're if you're getting to a documentary that solely is on music and then you start talking about politics people just kind of hit the mic i always hit the mic every fucking episode (laughs) (laughs) what happens when you talk with your hands i know uh, but yeah, I think yeah, if it would it would have turned people off to be like, oh, now we're getting political. Now I gotta, mm-hmm. oh, I don't really care about all this kind of stuff. Of course, black people gotta get political, which we do because that's a reason. Yeah, you gotta stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that being said, uh, with with Summer of Soul as this being Quest Love's like first directorial day, well, his directorial debut, like. Do you think he did like a really good job? I do. I do think he did a really good job, especially because he found a way of like getting those really emotional stories. So even though I didn't like Fifth Dimension, mm-hmm. like at least you got their perspective on like what this concert meant to them and mm-hmm. showing up in the community. And Gladys Knight, you got her perspective. And then at the end, where you had that very emotional response from the guy, and it was just his face, just sitting there watching yeah, the footage like he was and how, up. yeah, how much it meant to him. Like yeah. So as far as evoking what this was to the community at that time, he did an excellent job at, at getting that across. Yeah, I'm trying to find that cat's name. Like I'm looking at the IMDB page and they're just look they're they just have like the acts that they're uh they have listed. Yeah. Mm, Max Roach? No, that wasn't him. Anyway, uh yeah. But he's the beginning and he's the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like dude yeah, dude from <laughs> dude from uh Summer Soul, if you're listening, and I know you are. <laughs> We're so sorry we didn't get your name out. Yeah, but we really like you. 
Yeah, I felt we. Oh, okay. Now I I just remember something that like I thought was really poignant, and you had pointed out about how the documentary like starts with this guy and how he just like couldn't believe like oh shit there's actually footage of this yeah. i remember this amazing day i, I was, was there like, yeah 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 and how it ends with him like getting tearful and stuff like that and then quest love like kind of jumps in and he says like i'm living off of like your energy right yeah. now this is you're feeding me your energy and this is like such a beautiful thing like you got a sense that like you got a sense that like quest love like desperately wish he could have been there to like yeah. see all those acts and i fuck up I know myself and I know Meg, we, fuck yeah, we would have want to have been there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I could have done without the, the Afro-Cuban music actually. Really? Because I told you my hatred of Santana and I am a bad Mexican because mm. I hate Santana. Mm. Mm. But it's because it was used as a weapon against me in my childhood. Oh, <laughs> is this, a, is this is a case that somebody was singing at you? Yes. And uh. playing guitar at me. <laughs> I, I've I've come I've come around to your your level of thought when it comes to these people singing at me, <laughs> and it, it really hit home with that in the heights where I'm just like, oh God, please stop. <laughs> so if you don't have a point of reference of what it means to have somebody sing at you, you're really lucky because it means that you've never lived with a musician. Oh, yeah. And I was raised by my dad who played guitar and could not sing, but he tried oh so hard. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I was in a relationship with a musician for a very long time and he played guitar and he sang. <laughs> and there's nothing worse than having a conversation with somebody who has a guitar in their hand and is playing music at you and singing at you and making eye contact with you and trying to engage you. <laughs> and you're just like, I just want to go to the bathroom. Can I leave? <laughs> I just being, wanna, being held hostage. Yeah, I just want to make a sandwich. Like, especially because you, your response always has to be like, that was fantastic. You're so good. Like, how many times can I tell you that, man? That, that was actually one of, one of my ex's, like, big hang-ups with me is I didn't, I didn't, encur- I didn't compliment him enough. Oh and it was like, we were together God. for 13 years. How many times can I tell you you're fantastic? Because you're not always. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't. I picked up a guitar once. It was like this is hard. <laughs> That's it. Whenever something's hard, always give up immediately. <laughs> I, I I would imagine. Oh God, I'm just picturing like if I actually did like keep it going and everything. And you and I started dating, and I'd be like, oh, I play the guitar. You'd no, be like, nope. Especially because you like to joke around with me. Like, so much. Mm-hmm. You're such a smart ass. Like, where you'll be, like, dead serious. Like, no, I, I totally have done that. You told me that once. Like, oh, no, I have a guitar at home. And I was like, the blood was draining from my face. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But I would have been funny with it. I would have been like those, music- I would have been like those comedians that, like. Triggered. Pro- Triggered. Really? Oh. Triggered. <laughs> Are you saying you can't find, you, couldn't have, you wouldn't be able to find a happy medium if I played guitar? No. And I was funny? No. Oh, fuck. No, I never want to be with another musician ever again. What about a piano? <laughs> Are you going to make eye contact? No, actually, because you'll look away. You'll look at the wall. No, so I can, I can deal with that. You're not going to be looking at me. You can't walk into the kitchen with a piano <laughs> while I'm making a sandwich and corner me. I know, unless it's a, it's a guitar, maybe. God, fucking damn it, don't you dare. Funny story. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you this one funny. Relax. Story. I'm gonna tell you this one story. Uh, when I I actually weaponized a guitar. <laughs> 
Um, at, at you what, say that, but have you broken a guitar with your head? No, I did something better. Um, so when I was living with my kid's mother at our first apartment, um, there was, I don't remember where I got this guitar. It was an acoustic guitar. I do not remember where I got it from. Um, oh, and I remember my brother gave it to me. Okay, so my brother gave me an acoustic guitar. Okay, and I would sit, I would sit around, and I would like just fuck with it, and whatever. I, it was out of tune. I couldn't really play it. I would just strum it like an idiot and shit like that. And the apartment, apartment building next to ours, um, there was a window, and then at like at an angle, there was another apartment, and there was somebody who you can who was trying to be a singer like would practice singing and stuff like that but not like oh i want to like make a legit thing out of it more like oh i they weren't good i would just say that they weren't good and one day they were singing and it was annoying the fuck out of me so i got my guitar and i went to the window i propped my leg up so like the the guitar would be facing exactly outside the window and every time that person would sing, I would strum the guitar really hard and obnoxiously, just like da, 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 like that. And then they would start singing, and then I would go harder and harder and harder. <laughs> and then that person just like slid the window closed. <laughs> I I actually have broken a guitar with my head though. Why? I told you this. Well, I told you the story, but you know the story. Uh, nobody else says. So again, I was raised by somebody who played guitar my entire life Mm -hmm. and um my older brother is also a musician he taught himself how to play when he was uh like nine or ten or something Mm. that's how he makes his living now but anyway so he had a guitar out acoustic guitars tend to be more expensive than electric guitars Mm. um and this one was it's a gibson dove which is something at the time that was like already three or four thousand dollars i don't know what it's worth now because it, it's only older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is an acoustic guitar, right? This is an acoustic guitar. Oh, okay. So Gibson is a nice, a very, very nice guitar yeah. brand. And mm-hmm. then it was one that hasn't been made since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother left it propped up against the wall. <laughs> and not I'm remembering the story yeah, now. Not, <laughs> not in a guitar stand. So I'm one of three. I'm a middle child, which mm-hmm. explains so much about me. <laughs> um, and we were playing tag. Uh, in case you're wondering how old I was, I think I was like 16. <laughs> so that means that my older brother was like 18. <laughs> and then my little brother, the youngest brother, was 12. So we were all way oh too God. old to be playing tag. But uh-huh. my older brother left his shoe in the middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was hauling ass around the corner from the kitchen. And I tripped over it, and I got some height, and I flew headfirst <laughs> into the guitar, and I hit it against the wall, and I went, gung, and it was the last <laughs> it note. This. It was the last note ever made, because it just cracked all the way down the middle, and my dad heard, like, and he comes out, and he looks at the guitar, and he's, like, horrified, but he looks at me, and I'm sitting there dazed, and he's, and he's like, you could tell his heart is broken, mm-hmm. but he's like, okay, let me go be a dad and check on her. <laughs> to make sure she's okay and he's like i mean doing his version of like checking me for a concussion (laughs) and i always swore that when i got a job that started making some money i would pay to get that thing fixed but he'd actually already sold it by that point and i Mm. felt really bad i felt really really bad well i mean if you think about it you kind of you kind of helped yourself there 
<laughs> no, he had other guitars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> destroy, destroy one, one, no, destroy man, one, another shall rise. This man had been playing guitar mm-hmm. since the seventies, and like by the, he lived with me mm. until he moved to the East Coast, and he had like a different electric and acoustic guitar for every day of the week he had some on the east coast and over here on the west coast Mm. like he had like a takamini and like his like cheapo acoustics and then he had like nice electric like he had so many guitars i gave things away um because there were so many amps and things Mm. like what are you an octopus what are you my octopus (laughs) parent sitting here playing guitar you know i i actually still got the the first guitar well it was it was the first and only guitar i got i yeah the one your brother gave you that you no 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 no. the the one because the first guitar i ever i got was uh i think it was a fender uh and it was electric with an app and my my mom bought it for me for my birthday because i was just like i want to learn how to play guitar Mm -hmm. i got that guitar the app blew out because i used to be uh, (laughs) i was actually part of a band for like a little bit you're like this one goes to 11 (laughs) <laughs> oh we kept saying that a lot <laughs> yeah i could tell because yeah. you blew out the amp yeah so the, the amp got blown out but i still have the guitar and i remember my mom said um but she saw it because i put it in her her place of store and she was like do you still want this i was like yeah i'll be able to leia when she gets older yeah leia leia my daughter she shows no interest to play guitar but you though. don't know she might she might later yeah. like i mean neither one of my kids have any interest in it but it's also because they've been playing guitar <laughs> their entire lives i never knew i always i i like i you know i leave it open to them to do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. but they don't have to do a damn thing they don't want to do Sounds like a good mother. <laughs> we like went way off from we did. Soul we of soul. Um, but but yeah, this is this is trauma. We're healing. Yeah, I'm healing. We're I'm, through it. I'm healing now. I'm healing. <laughs> Hold my hand. Take my strong hand. Just try. <laughs> um so yeah, so yeah, Summer of Soul, uh, I dig it. Meg digs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, I've heard nothing but like positive things yeah. on uh on uh, in terms of like reviews, I think it's like at like ninety eight percent of Rotten yeah. Tomato or something. That two percent are just assholes. <laughs> They're just like, oh, like music. Yeah. Whatever. They're like, play some more country. <laughs> Bring out the gospel. I have heard somebody say the play some more country when I was in Texas <sighs> at SeaWorld. <laughs> they didn't like Shamu needed more country music. <laughs> Shamu and, and a guy. Yeah, Shamu tried to drown itself. No, that's <laughs> That was really where we were at. Like the shampoo. T- Play some more country. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and jump into our next segment uh, for this week's uh, variety time. So for this week, uh, I think my bones are pretty low. Ah. All right. All right. Now we're back. Okay. So for this week, uh, we're going to talk about the doc. Uh, that changed my life. Um, so 2010's treasure, the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. Um, this is a Dick House production, so this is Johnny Knoxville was involved in making oh, this. Oh, yeah, 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 that's And right. it follows a family. First of all, I have to say, you could not make this documentary today. It would not read the same at oh, all. Oh, no. Not even totally, kind of a little bit. It'd be totally different. But it was people's fascination with the last outlaw family or mm-hmm. something, um, that they were like an Appalachian royalty, like tap dancing. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's the so the synopsis is pretty much a year in the life of the white. <laughs> I just think that name is so funny. The White Family, uh, of the White Family, well known for Jessica White, uh, the star of the Dancing Outlaw documentary. Um, so yeah, this documentary they talk about that dude, but the 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 heart of this documentary are uh let's let's what's the sister well actually mamie yeah mamie seems to be like she's the she is in the family lineup the second Mm. oldest jessica's just jessica's not the oldest she's the she's the oldest daughter mamie um they say i keep they say the mom but the mom is so old yeah, like the they're like everybody's mom, the, oh, mirac- about the, the miracle woman. Talking about like Mamie White. No, Mamie is the is the oldest daughter, but it's their mom that I can't remember her name. I just remember her as the miracle woman, and everybody loves her. They love her so much, in fact, that on her birthday, they blew pot into her face. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I fuck. I do remember <laughs> that. Um, so this the. First off, this documentary had had me several times pause and just look at Meg and just be like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, what is going to happen? And you just, what was the thing you kept saying? Like, just wait. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. Because it's, it's so insane. And again, this could not happen because the pocket of the, of the country where this is, is as divided as the country is, mm. like, it would be intol- uh, intolerable for either, really for the other side to watch these people. Because these are definitely the kind of people who have on red hats. Mm. Um, I'm not saying they do. I'm saying where they're from do. They yeah. have Confederate flags up in their house. They, like, I mean, Jessica even got a Confederate flag tattooed on his back at one point there. Yeah. But there's almost something quaint about it because it was 2010. It was before we knew. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is like... Uh, this is like before the Trump era, well yeah. before the Trump era yeah. and everything. And the other thing too is, it was early enough in the opiate crisis that the pills fl- flew freely, <laughs> like like Skittles out of a. And no, as they said, the Boone County mating call. Oh, he was shaking <laughs> the pills. Yes. Oh my God. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't there a part of the documentary where somebody is like out trying to shoot somebody? Yeah, there is. Because I'm, I'm, so, so I give me a little bit more about your point of reference, and then I will, I'll, I'll steer you in the right, in the right direction. Okay. I've seen this documentary like twenty times. Okay, okay, yeah, because I've only seen it like once, and it was like last year, and I'm just remembering like the key like whole shit moments. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an individual who um, he got, I think he got like released from jail. Oh no, or he had, he had a gun. There was like a shootout. Yes. He got away like in a truck or some shit like that, and he went to go shoot somebody. So that was Sue Bob's son. Okay. That was Brandon Poe. And Sue Bob's what considered the prettiest one, right? She's the one with the prettiest teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sue Bob. And Sue Bob, uh-huh. God damn, she got a voice like, yeah, her, like Barry White. Yeah, her voice is way <laughs> like so, deeper than mine. Yeah, she got, she got a real raspy voice down here. Yeah, and her thing was... Um, yeah, I can just I I can I can be at the strip club, make about two thousand dollars because I'm everybody's favorite girl. That's what, it, and yeah. this like literally how her voice sounds. She did have nice chugs though, and she still had a nice body. Was she's dancing on the trampoline? She had no butt, and she, her face was real rough. But she had a real, she had a nice body. Yeah, I'm looking at her face right now, and Jesus. Well, she's been arrested a few more times on drug charges since that <laughs> wrapped. I, I I looked up to see what people are doing. Uh-huh. No, so what happened was, um, poor Brandon Poe. 
Uh, his dad had just died. He'd like overdosed or something. And it was Mamie's boyfriend who, this guy is one of my favorite characters in in the entire thing. In, not, in the white, in yeah, the white dog. Not because of anything he says. He's he's pretty actually pretty boring. But mm. it was the fact that his necklace was a bottle opener. Oh, and he yeah. was drinking twist off beer. Yes, I remember you pointed that out, and I was like. Why is he? Why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those conundrums. You just don't know. Uh-huh. So it was Mamie's. Um, it was her boyfriend. Uh, I guess they had a disagreement over. It was. I think it was over truck. like a. Yeah, it was over a vehicle. And and he had said something supposedly to to Brandon about burying him next to his like daddy or something. Mm. And then Brandon was pretty high, and had been doing a lot of drugs, and took a shotgun over there and blew his face skin off. It blew his face meats off. <laughs> and he was convinced that he had like killed him. So he was like, well, I got nothing else to lose. And then it ended up being in a standoff with the police overnight. And they were all convinced that he was going to get out on time served. I remember that. And I, and if I remember correctly, that's part of the documentary. That's the first, what, 30, 40 minutes or something like that? Yeah, I, I don't know if you know what happened to Brandon yet, but they do get to him. Like you, I mean, when you first see Brandon, it's all head up, uh. and, and then they pan down and you see the orange jumpsuit and him sitting in the correction facility. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, he seemed like, he actually did seem like a nice enough person. It was yeah. probably circumstances and definitely drugs, mm. and you just not being raised to know any different if that's your family. But like yeah. sitting there, he did seem like. A nice enough West Virginian. Well, even even I mean, minus, minus the the attempted murder, you know that he tried. He seemed like the most almost like sympathetic one. Yeah, like because he was sober. Yeah, yeah, and like <laughs> everybody. And the funny thing is, like you, like you, in this documentary, you want to feel bad for these people, yeah. but at the same time, you're just like, yo, you you guys are just doing this to yourselves. Yes. Um, what was the what was the daughter with the kid? Uh, Kirk. And you love that kid. You love that kid okay. so much. Okay, so Kirk is a granddaughter. So uh, so her mom is Bo White. She's the one who looks like Father Time. Yeah. With, yes. with like the teardrop tattoo. Uh, so uh, Bo White looks like a California raisin, a, a white California raisin yeah. with a long um, Game of Thrones White Walker wig on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um Okay, yeah, uh, Bo, daughter of D. Ray and B- Birdie, Birdie, Jesus shit. Well, that's her name, Birdie. Okay. Yeah, her mother of Kirk White and Derek Castle. So there's this kid. It's Kirk, right? That's the kid's name. No, no, no. Kirk is the yeah. Kirk is the daughter. It's Sue. I guess it's Susan Kirk, and I can't remember the kid's name. Forgive me. Oh, I think me. it's Derek. No, is it me? I think it is. I think it's, I think Derek is the son. It's no, because she's because she's got. She's got a. Uh, Bo has Derek as her son. Remember, he was the one who did the Boone County Might and Call. Oh, okay, okay, um, okay. So one of the kids, one of it's one of these kids is he. He does this. He says this this line that I always just crack up, even when I'm saying it. And so Kirk had had an abusive boyfriend. Uh, Dennis. 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 And she's sitting there giving this interview. I, I really love her outfit choice, first of all, because she's got a tube top on mm. and she's got some granny bra straps hanging out of the top <laughs> yeah. of it. Remember? Yeah. And, and this kid is 
all hopped up, hopped up on Mountain Dew. Uh-huh. No, it's actually Pepsi, which uh-huh. Kirk says, six cans of pop is too much. It's hyping you up too much. You see this kid doing parkour just yeah. off of his bed, ba- literally bouncing off the walls. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and and as 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 Bo is uh Kirk as, as Kirk is talking the kids in the background so Kirk is talking about how she uh-huh. oh how her grandma helped her hide the blood in the knife Bird, oh, that's right. The, oh, Jesus. <laughs> because she stabbed her boyfriend uh-huh. because he had hit her. Um but but we did not know at the time the little surprise that Kirk had in store that we we're going to get to later. Well, you remember. You remember, because we'll get there. But anyways, okay. the little kid's in the background going, if I ever do see that Dennis, <laughs> I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. De- Dennis is this. Yeah, and he proceeds to, like, just constantly just, like, flip off. Dennis is this. Dennis is this. <laughs> yeah, that... that. <laughs> And like, if anything, this documentary should be called the the, the wild and wonderful. Uh, what's the name of the documentary? It should be called the the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. Parentheses. <laughs> that's you. That's your favorite line. But it really is. It's like an. I mean, it's got so many layers, man. You're gonna find a new gift every single time. Mm. And to me, what I especially love and appreciate in that is the surprise that Kirk doesn't tell us is mm. that she's pregnant. And she yeah. was probably three or four months pregnant when she was wearing that tube top and giving that interview. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's the thing. Like, she didn't, if I remember correctly, she didn't look pregnant, like, at all. You Like, you would have no idea that she was pregnant until she pointed it out much later. Well, in the delivery room when she had... Uh, I think Monica Fay, I think the baby's name was, I can't, mm. but which was a cute, she was a cute little chunk of monka, and I mm. mean that in a loving, endearing nurse way. Like there's nothing, you know, nothing negative I can say about that baby. As Kirk says, she's the next, the next Miss America right here, <laughs> and she says that after mm. she crushes up a pill on her nightstand. It was an oxy s- pill, I think, she was crushing. S- uh, yeah, I think opiates were her problem. And, and yeah. also Xanax is too. But yeah, yeah she, she crushed up a pill with her cousin and they snorted it off of her nightstand in her hospital and then she walked off into the bathroom. Uh, um, she also was smoking Marble Reds in her hospital room as well. Yeah, yeah. And this, this all happened right after she gave birth to her daughter. Uh, yeah, she's in the hospital gown still. Yeah. Um, which then leads to oh C- CPS taking the kid away which that's not I mean I, I'm sad but the nurse in me is mm. like good that needed to happen very yeah. much oh, very much so like, yeah because they found they found um, they found what, as, methamphetamine pretty much inside the child right well it was opiates but mm. as one of her cousins said they probably just found drugs in it <laughs> <laughs> CPS can only keep it for a few days, and then they have to give it back. To- you can tell I've seen. <laughs> You're yeah, remembering it yeah, now yeah. as I'm reenacting yeah. it. And like, and a lot of these people, like, they're not like. I think the only one who's like who's panicking is what Kirk. Kirk is like the yeah. only one who's and, like. And I did. I I felt bad for her in that moment because mm. she's really. I mean, understandably, she's heartbroken. Like mm. she was not expecting that. Um, I don't know if she thought that she was covering the fact that she was using drugs or mm. high like well but you know addicts lie to themselves about a lot of stuff and and she'd had her son for 
however long. So she she wasn't expecting it. And and also too, when you're doing a CPS workup, mm. you don't tell the parent that you're doing it because you don't yeah. want them to take the baby and run. And she yeah. would have been a flight risk. So that's yeah. why they they were like they even the nurse said this is highly unusual. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. Even I know that's not. No, it's unusual. not. Yeah, and like she she took the. <laughs> <laughs> You're, because we're getting to the Del Taco scene or the Taco Bell scene, Taco which Bell is my scene. favorite. It is my favorite. And it's not because of Kirk's pain. I, I do have to preface that. Like, I, it's because Subob is so freaking ridiculous for so many reasons. Yeah. So we said Subob is the one with the prettiest titties yeah. and, and the deep, deep voice. So. She's in Taco Bell ordering the Taco Bell dr- the, the Taco Bell drive through <laughs> ordering so much stuff that she's ordering stuff they don't have. Do you have fiestas? <laughs> Why does it say you have or she wants a steak and cheese fajita? And they're like, We don't have that. She's like, You don't have fiestas? <laughs> <laughs> it was a gordita. She was trying to order a gordita. <laughs> she had to order a gordita. She's ate two different things before that. Then she has them read back her order and just starts driving and takes off. <laughs> keeps going like I, I I don't know if they edited it like that, but it, that is I don't think they did. Like it, she just takes off and forgets that she had them read it back. So then she sees in. Behind the window, somebody that she knows mm. and starts honking the horn loudly to get this person's attention. Yeah. And it's through, like, plexiglass. She's outside and she starts yelling, she's crying, her. <laughs> I took her baby. They CBS took her, took took her, her baby. baby. They found drugs in it. Yeah. And she says it not in a sad emotional kind of way kind of like hey they took her baby it happens exactly because you can see the the woman who's inside is responding to it like it's a positive thing because yeah. sue bob i at least is able to get this woman's attention to say that kirk has had her baby and she's like oh that's great yeah <laughs> but she does not get the the severity of the situation and uh, then and then when sue bob manages to get to the drive through complains did you kill a cow for that beef? <laughs> no filter at all. <laughs> just say whatever comes off your head. <laughs> it's just, I mean, and, and again, I feel bad for Kirk in this moment because she clearly, mm. uh, she's devastated. She's really sad. Sue Bob just gives zero fucks. She yeah. gives like not. Well, she's got the pride, I guess, tits. You know, yeah. she gets away with anything. <laughs> Um, yeah. But, oh, by the way, nobody in this family works because they're all on disability. So mm. D-Ray has set it up where he was, um, he got them all on social security disability saying that they all have psychiatric um, problems and can't work. So they don't feel like they need to. So they basically just kind of sit around getting in trouble and mm. taking copious amounts of drugs. And, and one of the people say, well, also, too, what I, one of the things I appreciated about it, because most of us are not from West Virginia. Yeah. Um, the, the economy of West Virginia has been really desolate, despite the fact that it's a really mineral-rich and really beautiful state. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's been owned by outside like corporations pretty yeah. much its entire existence. So people 
come in, they take money out, and they don't invest it in the community. And so really the only jobs that people have are coal, which is yeah, not... Yeah, coal mining jobs, yeah. <laughs> which is not... Yeah, which is, getting dry, yeah. which is drying up yeah. like now. And it's also really dangerous, too, where yeah. people die. Like, it's not a very long life expectancy doing that. So you kind of have, you kind of tend to have, like, kind of a fatalistic attitude if that's where you're from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of, like, nihilistic kind of thing. Like, I don't give a shit, whatever. I'm going to just do all these all the opioids and yeah. all the meth because i might die tomorrow anyways yeah yeah and that's the thing like it it, it kind of like it, it kind of like speaks volumes of like the state of the country and everything like that mm-hmm. like the abusive nature of it but like these people are so ignorant and so like hopped up on drugs that they can't even see like oh we're in this hell yeah. and we can't get ourselves out of it but one of the things that he did point out that same person who was talking about west virginia is he was really kind of like, why are you even doing a documentary on this family? Yeah. He's like, they don't represent like the best of West Virginia. And he said, we've got a kid who just got accepted like full ride to like MIT or Harvard or something. And it's like, yeah, why yeah. don't you talk about that kid? Yeah, there is. Because I remember there is one sibling that he actually gets out of the town and like him and his family, they move to like a different city. And he, he still had a pot leaf on his hat, though. That's true. But like, <laughs> but, like he was like his he was like a business owner. I yeah. think he was like construction or painting or something. He was. And that. And he had kids, and one of the things that was that was Pawnee, P O N E Y, Pawnee. Okay. Um, and one of the things that his daughter said was that if they had stayed there, like she was, I think, trying to get into a nursing program, and she would never have been able to do that in in West Virginia, and because of her last name, one disqualified her to a lot of people because oh, people were yeah, pretty biased. Oh yeah. But that they'd all said, you know, your own relatives will rob you or kill you. So yeah, and they and. They, the, the the family, they like they don't hide that shit at all. Like I, I if I remember correctly, didn't like the didn't like the father, the grandfather, the one who was like the dancing guy. Didn't he get like shot during a brawl or something like that? Yeah, I think that's how he died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So given that, like as we've like talked about this documentary. Oh, and speaking oh, of, but their family had a lot of tragedy too, because there were a lot of siblings yeah. who did die. And actually, that's one point. Jesco takes people through the graveyard through oh, like yeah, where yeah, and this right. is before their mother dies like where I, I think where he shows like here's my dad here's mm. my sister una who had an abusive spouse who shot her this yeah. is my sister who like died in a car accident like uh this is my brother who accidentally shot himself in the head thinking the gun wasn't loaded mm. like there there was like a number of things like that there was a lot of kids and not all of them lived yeah yeah and and one thing that like it's it's funny because like like how like how Megan has stated that like this is a dick house productions with MTV Studios and you wouldn't it, it, other than like it has like that similar kind of jackass like filming style mm-hmm. you would not think that like the people behind Jackass it's like it did this documentary there, there are several parts where you can like laugh at it and stuff like that but it's still pretty tragic you do get a little bit of that though the the johnny knoxville type bumper when you have mm. hank williams the third and his relationship with jesco where oh, jesco's yeah, yeah. on the table tap dancing to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah that's true that's true that's like true. he's just sitting there playing to the music that he's written about jesco and jesco is just like doing his white man's jig yeah <laughs> i mean that was an impressive jig i was just like <laughs> yeah right i'm kind of digging this but it was all in the feet. There was nothing in the hips. <laughs> all in the feet. Nothing yeah. in the hips. Nothing in the hips. Nothing in the face. Just kind of like, all right, let me just do this dance. <laughs> <laughs> 
apparently he's such a star in Appalachia, though, that he can't. Oh, the... Jesco. Oh, okay. That he can't. They were saying he can't even keep like a sign on his door that says "Go away." Like people will like rip it down off his door because they just want a piece of him. Uh, so that's part of I think. Well, that and mm. the fact that he huffed gasoline for. A number of oh, years. That's right. That the joke was that he could tell the type of gasoline by the smell. Oh my god! That, and and he said, and this is this is what I really appreciated, that he was in the hospital for some reason, and he had like a CT scan or MRI of his brain, mm. and the doctor said that his brain cells, he said, were ed up. Like, <laughs> like, ed up. Like, like, uh, like cigarette ash from years of like huffing gasoline. He's like, I'm not sure which cell. <laughs> and now we are going to do geriatric cinematic of gimme shelter welcome to the breakfast show KFRC, this is Frank Terry, and let me repeat, the Rolling Stones free concert is going to be on tomorrow at the Altamont Speedway. Apparently, it's one of the most difficult things in the world to give a free concert. It's creating a sort of uh, microcosmic society, you know, which, which it sets examples to the rest of America as to how one can behave in large gatherings. So the synopsis for Gimme Shelter is a British-American documentary film director's chronicle the, the last weeks of the Rolling Stones' 1969 U.S. tour, which culminated in the disastrous... Uh, Altmont. Altmont. <laughs> Altmont Free Concert. Uh, directed by Albert and David Melis, Melis. I think that's how you pronounce it. And Charlotte Zurin. Uh, it's featuring Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, uh, Mick Taylor, Tr- and Charlie Watts. So I learned today. Uh, <laughs> like I was looking up how many uh, music festivals, festivals there were in 1969. And there were okay. a lot. Um, the U.S. intended to stop doing music festivals for a while after this, even though the England and Europe continued to do it because they found a way to make it profitable. But mm. the U.S. kept giving them away and couldn't make money off of it. <laughs> um, but uh, so in addition to the Harlem Cultural Festival, there was Altamont, um, there was Woodstock, and then mm. there was one in London, and it was the Stones in the Park. They played Hyde Park, and it was their first show back. Okay. So they had... And, this, and that happened after. No, this, this. is before Altamont. So okay, this is okay. where the this is where it began in July. Okay. And they hadn't played in like three years because they had had some lineup changes. Mm-hmm. So this is um, Mick Taylor's. That the first show in July was Mick Taylor's like introduction to the band because Brian Jones, who had been a founding member, mm-hmm. 
was kicked out and he had just died like a few days before okay so people at, in london were like having like a candlelit vigil and apparently it was a terrible show um, because <laughs> okay. they hadn't played in like three years yeah and so altamont is the end of that okay okay um so so i i've never seen this document i've heard about this documentary it is beloved mm. It's a 1970s classic. I do think a lot of the people who love it as hard as they do are dads in New Balance sneakers. Um, because that's who really loves the Rolling Stones a lot. Or now their grandpas are yeah. getting older. Do you think your dad would like this documentary? I'm for sure he would because he loves the <laughs> Rolling Stones. I mean, but it is it is a good documentary. Yeah. It is. I mean, do I think it's like one of the end-all, be-all ones? Do I think there are better musical documentaries? Yeah. Mm. But, um, you know, like this one, it's they got some amazing footage in this, though. Yeah, yeah. Because I, rem- I remember when uh, – I remember reading about how the, the directors, when they were – they're playing – because they had actually got onto this tour, like, near the end. Um and they just wanted to have the stones and like have footage of them on the tour and everything. Yeah. And it it just so happened to turn into this. Yeah. And, and but but mm-hmm. what it looked like from the footage they had, like and, and you and I had discussed this, I feel like it was a little bit of absolution on the stones part to be like, see, we did nothing wrong. But mm-hmm. it looked like they really just kind of said like Hey, we'd like to do a, a free concert. You figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you figure it out. Because they did not have a medic on site. Uh-huh. They they repeatedly asked for if there was a doctor yeah. in, in, in there. Like, there was no medical tent. Yeah, someone but, called the ambulance. There yeah. was no ambulance. Or I like mean, that. there was nobody to do that. They had to li- literally announce that on stage, have the bands do that. Mm. Um, and the security was notoriously the Hell's Angels, where you have the opposite of summer of soul yeah yeah i mean you're gonna hear a lot of comparison between this and like summer of soul but like um there there is like a stark difference between the two events um now like mick jagger he has said this during the uh during like a press uh press event before the concert that the reason why he wanted to do um the reason why he went to his concert in the Bay Area, you know, was was considered like the hippie homeland was his quote was it's creating a sort of microcosm, a microcosmic society, which sets an example for the rest of America <laughs> as to how one can behave in large gatherings. So the f- that was accurate yeah. without being accurate. Yeah. So the first thing was mm-hmm. it wasn't supposed to happen at Altamont. It was supposed to happen in another speedway. And yeah. then that person backed out. So then they had to. Find some place to do it on yeah, the it, fly. It was supposed to be. It was originally supposed to be at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, um, and San uh, Francisco said no. Yeah. Uh, so then it got moved to Sears Point Raceway and uh, Sonoma. Uh, but it says, but after a dispute with the tracks owner, the stage and all the sound equipment was moved at the like twenty four hours before the concert that we saw. And then there was issues about parking. They didn't know where they were going to park all these cars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so check this out. So one of the reasons why it didn't work at the Golden Gate Park was because um, they, they couldn't get permits because the next day was going to be a San Francisco 49ers game. And they didn't want, like... The hippies mixing with the normies. Exactly, because they thought, like, maybe there had been, like, some type of chaos happening, which eventually <laughs> did happen anyway. In a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the thing with the Hell's Angels, I, I, I found a bunch of information about the Hell's Angels, like pertaining this concert. Um, 
So the reason why the Hell's Angels were brought in, there's actually two reasons. One is because the they're local. Yeah, well, they're free. Well, like the Rolling Stones has you, they have used the Hell's Angels before in their uh, like their London shows, but um, it was like it was a different type of Hell's Angel. It was a, a less violent Hell's Angel, and the reason why the Hell's Angels were brought on at this <laughs> with event, the polite British, yeah, one. yeah. Oi, can you stop doing that? I'm gonna hurt you. Oi, gov. <laughs> yeah. But the reason why these were brought in was because of the Grateful Dead. They Grateful Dead have used Hell's, Hell, Hell's Angels before Ooh. in previous concerts. Well, and, and they get left out because they were definitely largely involved in the planning of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I had read about, uh, well, okay, actually, because we're like we're getting into trivia, but let's just talk about the documentary like as a whole right now, like break it down and stuff like that. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I think like the first hour it was kind of boring it was pretty boring because it was just basically like the rolling stones being like oh we're the rolling stones and mick jagger just kind of rubs me the wrong way in mm. general i i have said i will go on record i will go down with a ship <laughs> i like rolling stone songs as done by other people i don't like mm. them done by the rolling stones because i can't stand mick jagger's voice mm. and everything about mick jagger is appropriative like he and keith yeah. richards were not the original leaders of the Rolling Stones. It was Brian Jones who passed away. He was the original sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. And then they really started dressing like him and ripping off his personality. They all three got uh, drug charges in 67, which is part of why they weren't touring for yeah. a while. Yeah. Except Brian Jones actually had an addiction. And <laughs> uh, that's not what he died of, though. Um, yeah. And then Mick Jagger, I mean, actually, they all did. Yeah. Ripping off blues music of Muddy Waters and, and, and their second hit in 62 was a Lennon McCartney mm-hmm. written song. Yeah. And you have pointed out about how Mick Jagger, his, his movement, because he's, he's known for like his type of movement yeah. and everything like that. Tina he, Turner. Yeah. He's, he's, he's stealing it from, essentially, he's stealing it from Tina Turner. And it's, but it's known it's a known thing like yeah and it's ironically like he has ike and tina like as an opening act for like their tour yeah. and you gotta i've actually i've i've seen like clips of their performance and stuff like that um but never but like they're way 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 like later years so this is the first time i've actually seen the rolling stones like in archive footage and stuff mm-hmm. like that and just seeing Mick Jagger just kind of like just walk around and like interact. Where Bowie at the same time mm. is cool as fuck and anything he does is just sex, right? Yeah. Mick Jagger seems like an awkward, nerdy, yeah. high school th- drama kid with a scarf and like a top hat on. Like yeah. literally just walking around like a chicken. Yeah, and you get a lot of that kind of... In the beginning, yeah. In, in the beginning, and then you get a lot of like... The members look, most of the members look like they're bored as fuck half the time, or they're just like, oh, we gotta go here. All right, we just stand here. And like, just. It's it's really just about how brilliant they are. Like, the crazy thing is, like, they'd only been writing their own music since 1964. (laughs) So this is 1969. So we're talking about like five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they. They only had like a few albums come out. So Satisfaction hit in like 65. Mm -hmm. And. They hadn't toured since 67. So as big as the crowds as they had and as much as they loved the way that their own farts smelled, they <laughs> hadn't been a band for that long. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. And, and, and it, like as you said uh, earlier about how um, when the Stones had played at a different concert, like they sounded bad and they sounded bad. In the doc- <laughs> and I don't know. I, I feel like that was like the director's. They, they, that was they were kind of hoping to catch that like oh the Rolling Stones there's like this 
fandom and everything, but they kind of play like shit. Yeah, I don't know, because the way that it was filmed, like, you get you get them looking at themselves, mm. at, at least on the first leg of their footage, and they're mm. looking at themselves, and they look like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we good. did good. Yeah, like, it? like, it me. <laughs> 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 like, they'd never seen, like, footage uh-huh. of themselves before. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, it was like somebody, like whisper, a lawyer whispered in their ear, okay, this part you have to look sad for because this is where your shit goes yeah, down. Yeah, shit's going to go south, so we got to make it look okay. good for, and the, so then for it, the courts. Yeah, here's Mitch. And it, and it ends on that freeze frame of Mitch looking very, mm-hmm. like, somber. Yeah, like like if they had used this footage, which they did use the footage, and we're going to go go into later about why. Um, it looked like this would be something like they use the footage where like pause and then the, the defense lawyer or her would be like, there, see, <laughs> exhibit, a. exhibit a innocent man. Or yeah. Some yeah. Shit like that. Sympathy, empathy. This is what he's holding right yeah. now. Cause I feel like in today's, in, in today's world, mm. they would have had some lawsuits on their hands for, oh, absolutely. for that nonsense. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. Um, so, and I, I felt like. Um, in some of the in some of this documentary, like you had pointed out, that this was kind of like like you said, like a vanity project mm-hmm. for the Stones, and I think the director had the directors had an idea of this because there's this one particular scene where it's like Jagger kind of like doing his chicken dance or walk whatever, and like there's this weird red lighting on it, and it's kind of like uh, superimposed on top of him moving a certain way, and it almost looked like. I don't know, like a child just kind of like dancing in the dark and not knowing which way is up and shit like that. But that's how he always dances. I don't get why people think it looks good. I don't get how anyone said moves like Jagger because it should have been moves like Tina. Oh my God. I, I, can't. I would say moves like Cracker, but whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, so, like, there was way a lot of it that Mm -hmm. was about the lead-up to this thing and very little about Altamont. You could have gone way more into Altamont. Oh, yeah, But I can't hear the word Altamont, as I told you, without thinking of Jake Morgendorfer from Daria. Oh, please please explain it. Saying, uh, Altamont. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. It's like, terrible tragedy. (laughs) But I demanded my money back, and I got it. Was it in a free concert? Yes. <laughs> Which is why Dario is the best. <laughs> Makes me appreciate that scene even more now. I know. <laughs> now, now I get the context and I'm like, oh, I totally get that joke now. <laughs> so, okay, so let's get to Altamont. Let's get there because that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's where the money's at. Yeah, that's where everything starts popping off. Yeah. Yeah, we could hate on the stones all day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's. Okay, one more one more kind of like jab at the Stones. I always felt like that maybe I was like missing out because a lot of my friends did listen to the Stones and everything. I was like, oh, maybe something. I, I, like, I was missing out on something. It's fake blues riffs, first of all. Yeah, And yeah. you like blues, so no. Yeah, exactly. And like after, tell you the truth, after like really watching this documentary, like, I've heard, like I said, I've heard a couple of songs I've never really got into like their discography or anything like that. But I think after watching this documentary, I'm just like, I don't give two shits about the Stones now, <laughs> like at all. Other than like... You've seen it. I've seen it. And then, like, Mick Jagger's, like, ignorance or just pretending. I mean, first of all, let's just not say Mick Jagger. Let's say the re- it's the rest of the band. The band, the rest of the band saw well, this chaos. Yeah, because he's the front man. But uh. Keith Richards and, and Mick really are the leaders of the band. Yeah. Poor Mick, Mick Taylor, was that it? It was his first, um, it was his, his like, 
his initiation into mm. life in the band and life on tour. So I don't blame him for anything. <laughs> He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Charlie, the Charlie drummer. Watts, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think of what Moira said about partying with the Stones. Everyone but Charlie. Every <laughs> party must have its pooper. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the, con- the concert heard around the world. <laughs> So, so yeah, the, 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 the concert at this location, like, you, like, I, I, I like, the, I actually like the build up to it because there are several scenes where, like, they show um, his, they're, like, lawyers trying to, like, get everything yeah, going. Yeah, they're scrambling. Yeah, it's so fucking chaotic of just, like, phones ringing, yeah. people arguing, like, no, we got to do this, we got to do this and everything like that, while you just have the stones just kind of watching, like... I, I said I want to do a free concert. I want to do it free. Why can't we do a free concert? Why won't you give this to the people? And um, and so I'm trying to find out what's the original plans. Okay, all right, all right. So yeah, like the 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 level of chaos that goes on with this, just leading up to this concert, and they're still like determined to get this thing off the ground. And as they're like they're putting everything together, it's like. They're just putting everything together with, like, spit gum and, like, whatever sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, the setup was just, yeah. like, atrociously, like, put together. Like, the audio setup was, like, put up very poorly. And, and you see them putting it together. People are already streaming in in mass. Like, there's about 300,000 people who end up showing up. And it does not look like this place can fit 300,000 people. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, where there because I, I i'm just i just remember there's like a particular shot of of the the uh the altamont concert and you see like the waves and waves and waves of people um and then you see the waves and waves of people in in the the harlem the harlem festival uh the harlem culture festival where it's like one is happy what is the happy? other is chaos like <laughs> they look like they got their to fight, fuck, and, and t- just... And take all the drugs. Yeah. And that's what they did. Like, they started rolling really early on. And mm-hmm. when that got brought to people's attention, they're like, okay. Like- yeah. So so the concert... So there's a great article I found. Um, it's from Pitchfork. The article is called Rolling Stones Tour Film uh, Gimme Shelter is a Classic Rock Doc with No Easy Answer. So in the article... Um, the writer says that the hasty cobbled together site lacked any adequate sound system and a number of toilets for a show of that site. Yeah. You can just imagine the stank just happened at that. Oh, shit. I mean, there was a bunch of hippies, so you knew it was going to be armpit and patchouli, yeah. anyways. Like it, and weed, and by <laughs> today's standard, it's like Mexican skunk weed. So yeah, uh, and the stage was set up at the bottom of the bowl-like area with without a barrier for the crowd. There was not. They were like right up on the crowd, which is why they kept popping up there. And it was like whack-a-mole when you watched it. Yeah. Well, I think that's not entirely true. I think the only barrier was just the (laughs) roll hills and their motorcycles. Yeah. They brought their motorcycles up and then got real like pissed when somebody kicked their bike. Yeah. As Sonny Barger said. In that uh, that interview on the radio. So actually, this is a, a kind of important quote is what Sonny Barger said. Because he basically said that he was promised that 
Like, they could see the show. They uh, could drink all the beer they wanted. All they had to do was just keep people off the stage. And that's what he did. So he said, literally, they told me if I could sit on the stage so nobody would climb over uh, climb over me, I could drink beer until, until the show was over. And that's what I was there to do. Okay, yeah. So uh, to, to add to it, um, this... He got this. Uh, what was the guy's name? The Hell's Angel guy, Sonny Barger. Yeah. So this was negotiated with between him and the Grateful Dead's manager, and that they said that they would it, for the security was exchange of five hundred dollars worth of beer. Yeah. And that was it. And in case anyone wonders what happened to Sonny Barger, he went on to I think be an advising member for Sons of Anarchy and actually did a guest appearance on oh, there. Oh yeah. So that's he's right. still around. He's still around and kicking. Like he's he's kind of a famous biker. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so like with like you have the Hell's Angels that are trying to keep this concert organized or some type of law. No, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and you have you have the Black Panthers, and like they were able, like there was like there respect. was like they, yeah, there was like well, complete, complete amount of respect and yeah. a barricade. They had a barricade there. Yeah, like there the, there weren't people like pressed right up against it, but but even when. You know, they got all, like, amped for mm. Sly and the Family Stone. They calmed down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the, what was the, uh, so the it MC start- guys from, from Summer Soul? I keep forgetting the, the yeah, cat's got, name. I, I, yeah, he was just like, y'all need to calm down. And they're like, all right. Yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> so uh, with this, the, so it started during the day. It went through a number of acts. I think it was the Flying Burrito Brothers where I was like, who is this? Uh-huh. Um, that was the band that was on. And that's where they start getting really amped. The Stones fly in in a helicopter because mm-hmm. they're like, fuck driving. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they get out. And as soon as Mick Jagger gets out, somebody punches him in the face. So he goes and hides in his trailer for until it's time for them to oh, go out shit. on stage. <laughs> so the Flying Burrito Brothers, I think that's when the drama starts happening. That was the thing with the uh, stage dive dude. Yeah. Or, or not stage dive, but um, crowd surf crowd dude. Surf guy, where yeah. he's getting like tossed around like crazy and then yeah. gets beat the fuck with some pool cues yeah that's what the hell's angels brought to keep the peace was literal pool, pool, cues. pool cues i'm like where's their a pool <laughs> a radius. where are they whipping them out from because you don't <laughs> see them in, t- in or what are they like a police baton where they did yeah <laughs> i know you, yeah you only see the pools when they're the pool cues used and then back into hiding <laughs> <laughs> that's it um so yeah and then they ask if there is a doctor like that, so that's the first cue to me where yeah. it's like they did not have a medic on site. Like, like you had a crowd this big, yeah. You know, people are doing drugs. How do you not have a medical tent? Yeah, well, it's, speaking about the crowd, one thing I want to really point out that that was so funny. Just clapping how, on the ones and threes. Yeah, how Summer Soul was like twos and fours, oh, yeah. and Give Me Shelter or, or the Altmont concert was ones and threes because you just see people just shaking and just like left and right just bobbing their head and just like no one's in rhythm at all i did however suggest that it could have been that the editor of altamont <laughs> the sound guy was on the ones and three and, and that the people were were right on time yeah um okay so there oh okay because one of the acts was what well, it was a jefferson starship right that no was, it was jefferson airplane jefferson which i was Air- telling you had the most yuppie arc <laughs> Of any band. Yeah, and how, like, the lead singer, Marty, I think his name, got punched in the face by a Hell's Angel. Yeah. So and, then so then one of the members of the band gets up. Yeah. 
And it's just like, hey, don't do that. That's not right, guys. And a hell's angel hops on the mic and starts clapping back at him. And at that point, they should have known that things were only going to get worse. Yeah. Because it wasn't like a, like, I mean, it was a hell's angel who knocked out their singer. Yeah. And then the another hell's angel got on, on the microphone and basically just started talking shit. <laughs> To the dude from Jefferson Airplane in front of everyone I'm, else. I'm surprised. Like, I'm surprised that dude who got in the mic wasn't like, "You want to just shut him? Play fucking play some fucking music." <laughs> I feel like that was the moment though mm. when Jefferson Airplane was like, "Okay, we'll, we'll kind of regroup. We'll come back in the '80s when we built this city <laughs> as Jefferson Starship, and, and then uh, nothing's gonna stop us now from when we're Starship." So, um, so yeah, there was. What are they called? The Burrito Brothers or something? Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah. Some, it's the band that you that were like, who? Yeah. Out of that lineup. Uh, yeah, so Jefferson Airplane. Um, Santana did play. Um, and then there was another there was another act uh, called... Oh, uh, Crosby, Steals, Nash, and Young. Which weren't featured in... Yeah, like they, like, like they played, but they weren't featured within the documentary. But... Because I remember you and I were watching this, and it, it goes on way into the night. Yeah. And we're thinking about, like, gaps within the performance yeah. and stuff like that. So you see the Grateful Dead who were on the lineup, who, yeah. who were supposed to show up. They do roll up, and they cancel right before they're supposed to go on because of how violent it is. So they're sitting there amongst themselves, yeah. and they're talking about, wait, so they punched the singer from Jefferson yeah. Airplane? And Jerry Garcia was like, oh, man, that sounds bad. Yeah, that, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not right. He looked high as fuck, but he was still the voice of reason. Yeah, so when that happened, they got on the airplane and took the fuck off. <laughs> and there was a two-hour gap when they left. And while they were flying... So Mick is still hiding in his trailer. <laughs> yeah, and while they were flying, they're talking about like astrology and shit like that. <laughs> while below them, people are just being beat up and all that kind of shit and um and then the stones finally come out yeah and they they reminded us of substitute teachers who were just flicking the lights on and off trying to get people's <laughs> yeah. attention like, like like they knew it was bad they could see it was bad they've got crowds jumping up on stage like they've got people coming on and they're getting yeeted by hell's angels <laughs> Like, oh, you guys should stop doing that. Like, even even like when Mick Jagger is talking about like, you got everybody stop. He We're, tells them to sit down, basically telling them to sit crisscross yeah, applesauce. Where? There's no... Yeah. No one's going to sit down there at all. It's dirt and piss <laughs> at that point, And like half the people are naked. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what? I actually think this documentary would have been very helpful. Actually could have been very helpful to it. And... um I, I don't know. I guess the director didn't have enough forethought, but like it could have actually been like a commentary, a commentary of what's going on in the world at the same time, like how obviously Summer Soul had the had the yeah. the benefit of doing it since it's like recently uh, put together. And they and Summer Soul did mention Martin Luther King had been shot. Yeah, John F. Kennedy had already been assassinated. I think Bobby Cass um, Kennedy had already been assassinated by that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, like. Like, all of these horrible things. It was a really turbulent time. The Vietnam War had already started, like, even though they are British. But, I mean, that was still very much a, an issue for the people who were in attendance. Yeah, and the directors could have actually, like, covered that to some extent, saying about, like, oh, this is... there. Here is the reason why we want to do this documentary. We want to have a... Com because it's supposed to be a commentary on, like, as, as Mick Jagger said, like, a microcosm world of 
United States or the U.S. being together in harmony or some bullshit. But it could have just been like juxtaposed of like, well, there's the Vietnam War. Here's Nixon doing this. Here's all this kind of bullshit going on. And even that was such pseudo hippie bullshit because when you saw them like in their footage where Mm. where they're like looking at themselves or in their they're in the recording studio, they looked like a bunch of professors. They looked like a bunch of nerds. Yeah, like they did not look like hippie rock stars. I mean, they looked like total effing nerds. So the idea that they're like. Oh, it's a microcosm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't believe that. <laughs> I feel. I feel like Mick Jagger probably like saw a couple of interviews with John with John Lennon. Was like, I can say that too. Well, you know, their manager now. Now you know because I told you earlier that their manager um, saw them as the antithesis to the Beatles. Yeah. Their manager had been a former publicist for, for the Beatles yeah. and obviously had a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Be proud of that shit. <laughs> Um, okay, so so yeah, the one thing one thing I, I, I really do appreciate that the directors did, that they did do is that they allow the footage to be focused on what's going on stage. Yeah. Like they like there are of times, the crowd. Yeah. Like it wasn't on the band. Yeah, like there are times where you get like some crowd interactions, stuff like that, but like that gets boring over time because essentially everybody there is like stoned out of their fucking mind. <laughs> or chaos. Yeah. And so the the director was like, all right, well, let's just kind of like have the show of let, let's just show what's going to happen on, mm-hmm. the, on the stage and everything like that. And I think that's to me, that's what it gets like. I mean, it just builds up to like the super amount of just like entertainment because I'm a person who loves watching a slow moving car accident and just seeing like how the stones are just way over the in like in way over their heads and shit like that. And how the uh how the hell's angels are just kind of like taking people and chucking them off stage like there's that there was that one dude the camera was on for a while there's there's that dude you get to see as his ashes trip is getting like like uh bigger and bigger he's just like moving his mouth and stuff like that and one of the angels is like grabs him and goes fucking throws him out like oh shit just yeets him into oblivion yeah we're like that that wasn't an angel member okay because there was no barricade the angels had brought in a wall of their motorcycles they brought in their motorcycles to try to be like a barrier which they shouldn't have done because one you can kick over a motorcycle pretty easily and it's Mm. gonna hurt somebody else but two if it means that much to you you know it's just gonna get trampled on by the dirty hippies yeah and their dirty hippie feet yeah (laughs) Yeah, even like when the angels is talking about, uh, I forgot the guy. The guy who had called had said, "Yeah, is that it's your like most prized possession, and you see somebody kicking your most prized possession. What are you gonna do?" Yeah. And it was Sonny Barger. Still, it was the same guy who called <laughs> into the radio show, and he was say, like saying, "Like you know, like we did what we had to do, kind of." But that, yeah, that's like that's like putting your foot out in an aisle and be like, "I hope somebody trip over this." But it's also such a freaking cliche that like a biker is like, "It's my most beloved possession, lover." <laughs> Lover, like, my lover. <laughs> like, like lover. I, I love her like my actual lover. I make sweet, sweet love to her exhaust pipe at night. Don't ask it. Don't ask. So, did you know that George Lucas was one of the cameramen on on location? I did not, but I wonder. Yeah, I, I wonder. Okay, so yeah, he was he was there. He had shot about like a hundred feet worth of film, but the camera got jammed, <laughs> and a lot of that footage got. There was like one shot. Did he get to get out of there before all hell broke loose? No, oh, pro- probably not. No, no, I would. I would. You know what? I would love to sit down and talk to George Lucas. Yeah. Nothing about Star Wars. Just be like, what happened at that concert? Tell me, like, what did you see? <laughs> and see what he said. He probably he probably like Vietnam for him or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so things start devolving, and the Rolling Stones start playing some songs that are only really going to get people riled up. Like, I mean, I, I don't remember all of their songs, but ooh, one of the things they played "Wild Horses," which is mm. off of a stick, which is off of the album "Sticky Fingers," which did not come out until 1971. Mm. So they played that song two years before its release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like they're playing, they play like like uh, Street Fighting Man. Yeah, uh, under sympathy my sympathy for the devil, sympathy for the devil, and everything. Yeah, they thought under my thumb was gonna get people like to chill the fuck. Out. Apparently not, because like there's that dude. Uh, his name is his Mer- Meredith. His, yeah, Meredith. Um, I can't remember the cat's name. It's like Meredith. Meredith Hunter, there you go. Yeah. So, the, like, the biggest thing that people talk about in this documentary is, like, the death of Meredith Hunter, who he was... was 18 a, years old. Yeah, he was this black dude in, like, this lime green, like, prom suit. Yeah, you saw him in the crowd earlier. Like, mm-hmm. he was, like, up, and he had a top hat on, yeah. and, like, a black shirt. He looked like he was having a good time. Yeah, and it's... Because it, I... It, it's funny, because, like, how this documentary is, like, playing out to this, and it kind of, like... It like it's it just goes to this disastrous moment where the there's dude, this like there's a, fight and that's, yeah. and they they have Mick watch it and be like oh could you see and he's like oh no it just looked like another fight which I, I'm like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. convenient convenient <laughs> yeah and this dude like pulls out a gun and while they're playing he pulls out a gun while they're playing uh, under my thumb and I remember like seeing like while we we're watching that. I actually just saw the knife coming out. Yeah, because it looked dude. it looked like he got stabbed for no good reason, and he was stabbed repeatedly and mercilessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like this dude, so what? So from what I read, like they stabbed the dude repeatedly. Well, they stabbed him once. They pull him on. They pull him out, and they just kick the living shit out of him, and they just repeatedly stab him. And it's fucked up because I mean they had to show it, and it's just it's just so tragic because like. This dude is like dying or is dead, and there's this he woman. Got, he, well, he got stabbed in the head, so yes, yeah. he was dead. He was probably dead the second that happened. Yeah, and this dude, uh, his girl is like right next to him, mm-hmm. like seeing this shit. Um, so, so the guy who did the stabbing, um, I can't find the cat's name right now. Um, he was. They actually did put him on trial, and the reason he got off. Was because of the footage of the gun. Well, yeah, because that's the thing. The what what I read is that in the with the footage, the Meredith Hunter's girlfriend who's in the background with the cro- crochet dress exactly. on. Exactly, that was what showed the outline of the gun, and they saw the gun, and they were like, "Oh, that's self defense." Then, but um, there was so yeah, so the, the Rolling Stones did a, the magazine Rolling Stones did an expose on the the on Meredith Hunter's death. Okay. Now, one critic had said a young, this is what he said in the article. He says, a young black man murdered in the midst of a white crowd by white thugs and white men played their versions of the black, of a black music. It was, we also don't know why he had the gun or why he was bringing it out. Well, a, a lot of people think this critic says it was way, it was too much to kiss off as a mere unpleasant, uh, unpleasantness. Um, some people are saying because he was egged on. 
And I remember while I remember what when we were watching this, I even said to myself like I would be a nervous black man in that crowd because I'm yeah. expecting somebody to say the n word around me yeah. and have like this wave of white people to have their back. We were reading lips at angry white people <laughs> yeah, to yeah. see them because there because there were like I mean I feel like they found every black face in the crowd and mm-hmm. tried to put them on camera at some point to be like look at how diverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a little sprinkle like yeah. black person here, another black person I mean, like a mile away. I don't know why you would bring a gun to a Rolling Stones concert unless you're like I really wanted you to play Satisfaction (laughs) (laughs) way the government play Satisfaction (laughs) (laughs) maybe don't dance like Tina Turner you nerd (laughs) (laughs) yeah no just be like Bowie Warwood better or some shit like that Beatles are better (laughs) So the the tragedy was immortalized by Don uh, McLean's song "American Pie," which I didn't know that at all. I thought "American Pie" was about the day the music died, which was the. Okay, so these are the lyrics. Oh, oh, and as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel born in hell could break that break that Satan spell as. And as the flames climb high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing in delight the day music died. No, but I thought the day I thought that that it must be like a two parter because it's about the plane crash with Buddy Holly. Oh yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. So I didn't realize it was also about Altamont, which yeah, yeah. it makes sense because it really is considered the end of the summer of love, which sixty nine, haha. But it was also winter. I mean, it was really like the death of the 60s and mm. all that like ideal optimism and stuff. Mm. And also that film then became, ladies and gentlemen, in Exhibit A. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they caught it as obviously as they did, I think, in, in fact, mm. in part because Meredith Hunter's like very, very lime green suit. Yeah. And you had a little bit of like parting in the crowd and how close he was to the stage and stuff. But um, there were also three more deaths. Like it, one was like a um, one was like a hit and a, run. It, two, like two people were car accident, and one person was a drug um, and like drowning, drowning in, a, ditch, in yeah. a like a reservoir or something. Yeah, um, I believe there was a a radio host that said like. I think like a child was born there as well. Okay, here we go. No, um, I think that was me talking about somebody getting a C-section. No, 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 no. No, this was it says uh yeah, it says uh there were four births, four deaths, and an awful lot of scuffles reported, said the radio announcer. So apparently maybe some kids were born there. What kind of hippie psycho is gonna be like that pregnant and like let me wade through Three hundred thousand stinky ass hippies with no tor- with no toilets, <laughs> <laughs> no place to sit. Like I mean, it didn't look like they had any food vendors or anything out there. It looked like they literally had a shitty ass stage that didn't <laughs> that didn't have a good sound system. And then I really loved, um, by the way, the way the Stones got out of there. Like oh they they, they packed that helicopter they got out of there like they were taking fire and they were leaving Nam and they <laughs> had like all of Saigon was happening I right mean, there there were bitches sitting on dudes laps in that <laughs> helicopter I am surprised that that pilot could take on like the weight of the extra people mm. in there because usually if you have to sit on somebody like they must have been some skinny bitches mm. and not have any like suitcases or anything with them so would you be surprised to know that the directors would later on make one of your favorite documentaries what what one is that great gardens really 
really? Yeah, yeah, these are the same folks. And the reason why they the reason why they did it is because they study psychology like in before film school. Great Gardens is also one of your favorite oh, documentaries. Oh, that is such a great Great Gardens is the only documentary that I found out that there were Megan had shown me that there was more footage and I was like we gotta watch that. <laughs> we still haven't, though. I thought we had watched. I thought watched no, we watched. No, we started, but we what we did watch was uh, the documentary now version. Of oh my God, Peter Potter! <laughs> <laughs> this shit was so fucking brilliant. <laughs> they they nailed it, man. And and that's that's the other thing where. Um, I do appreciate a good documentary now. Fred Armisen, <laughs> Bill Hader, yeah. like m- like mockumentary, mm-hmm. making fun of the classics. So <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't done a version of "Give Me Shelter" can or not "Give oh. Me Give Me Give Me oh, Shelter," considering how <laughs> it's 1970. Yeah, they've they've done like concert documentaries. Like, what's the one? Stop making sense or whatever. They did that documentary, mm-hmm. didn't they? Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> with all that. Do you think this documentary holds up to like today's standards? I do. Do I think it's as great as everyone says it is? No. Because mm. because I feel like it's too much of like ego stroking. Yeah. And so that's usually like my criteria for like a bad documentary. Yeah. It's like the Brian Foster documentary that we started watching and you couldn't watch more than like five, ten minutes that's of the, it. That's the producer one. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, and because I was doc. like, hey, look, this is a horrible documentary. And it's him talking about how great he is mm-hmm. and all of the wonderful things that he's done. Like hit somebody with a car and help him find <laughs> yeah. a medical condition. And, yeah, and Ben Vereen told him he saved his life for hitting him with the car. <laughs> like, like that was a bad documentary because yeah. you're getting the part of life that somebody wants you to see and you're mm. not getting a very authentic one. Yeah, and I feel like there is a an element of that. Is the role a lot of an element of that? Is the Rolling Stones are showing you a horrible part of their past, mm. but you're missing the fact that they just came out of you know one of their founding members, Brian Jones, who was like instrumental in in really changing mm. um, British music in the '60s. He's dead. Yeah, and how did that affect them? Like, yeah. not at all. They don't even address that at all. Like, yeah. that was a big thing. Um. You're really just getting how effing great they are. And they hadn't been yeah. a band that was touring for a while. They had these drug charges in 67. Like, yeah. it's really them trying to show you their best foot forward and try to make themselves still relevant since they were since they missed out on Woodstock. Mm. So I think looking at it in the light of that, it's a little, it is a lot of a puff piece to them, despite yeah. the fact that the footage is like, is still very raw. Yeah, even like. Um, I, I would go as far as to say not only is it like a vanity project or like a PR like we're we are still great or whatever but it's also like an excuse of like look we did we did everything we could mm-hmm. you know we're not at fault for what happened to Meredith Hunter at all yeah. or the other people who died or all that other kind of yeah. stuff and really not even acknowledging the fact that they feel bad that that happened yeah, like, absolutely. is there I mean I, I know that would have been like liability like oh, oh I, I admitted that we did something we shouldn't have but and I don't know, honestly, I don't know the answer to this. If they, in the 50 years since that, have... Shown any, like, remorse. I, I'm, I'm sure they probably have. Like, I don't know. I think if they did, it's more just like to save face. Like, oh, let's be remorseful. But I have a, I have a distinct feeling that they're just like, yeah, whatever. Keith Richards just kept doing drugs. Yeah. Somehow he's still alive. Yeah. But I, but I think in the light of that, like, again, like, you know, before the beginning of this tour, Brian Jones had died. Mm-hmm. 
Like, even if their relationship yeah. with him had been strained because of his addiction and yeah. stuff like that, it's like, you have to have some thoughts and feelings on this person who'd been your, like, longtime bandmate and yeah. hugely responsible for a lot of your success. And I, and I think the reason why they do that is it would have just took the, t- the attention away from them. Yeah. And they couldn't, they couldn't go with that. Yeah, because it was the Mick and Keith show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I do... Oh, I'm, in, I'm in the table. Um... I do think that it, it does hold up, it, but it's. I think it's one of those documentaries that you just have to watch to see what everybody's talking about, mm-hmm. but, like, that's it. Like, I know this is part of, like, the Cartarian collection. It's, mm-hmm. like, high regards. Mark Marin like, talks about this documentary a lot, but I think he just, I think he more talks, talks about, like, the, uh, the chaos of it. Yeah. Which, to me... That's the most enjoyable part. And I can probably like just rewatch like just that half and just see like where all the things went wrong and stuff like that. I think if you're a Rolling Stones fan, you can't look at this objectively. Yeah, I fully agree with you on that. I think you're going to look at it as being more significant than it is, which is why I'm saying a lot of the people who really still to this day talk about how brilliant it is and mm-hmm. how it's one of the best rock documentaries of all time. They're largely like dads or granddads and new balance sneakers <laughs> yeah. they're not people who are, who are current they're people who are like really clinging they're mm. they're the ones who are in cialis commercials <laughs> <laughs> playing playing guitar in their garages sitting in the bathtub with their significant other <laughs> um yeah i think that's it i think i think we were on this for a little while um you have anything else you want to add to our discussion with this no, you and I go on forever. Yeah, we could talk like a whole couple of hours on this. That's our relationship right there. It's like, what's this tangent? Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, that's going to be it for our show for this week. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us on this uh, uh, this very interesting look in the Rolling Stones and how much they suck. <laughs> and remember, Rolling Stone songs are always better done by other people. Yeah. I love the song Wild Horses, much better done by the Sundays or Bush or any other band yeah. who's ever covered it. Um, we would especially like to thank the folks over at yourentertainmentcorner.com uh, for hosting this podcast on their website. Um, for all your film and TV news and reviews, you go to yourentertainmentcorner.com uh, where, you know, Kelsey, our lovely co-host, is uh, a reviewer over there. Um, you can find all my stuff on ScreenGeek.net as well. I just wrote a review for uh, a couple of reviews. One for... Tomorrow War. The Tomorrow War and the, the Bonkers. That is F9, the Fast Saga. <laughs> God, that's a great movie. Um, so, yeah, you can find this episode on all past episodes on all podcast catchers. Obviously, you're on one of them, so we're there. Um, so... Uh, next week's episode, we are, I'm assuming Meg's going to return. Yeah. Okay. So Meg, Meg will be coming back. Uh, we might have another guest, uh, on our show as well. I'm like herpes. I just keep spreading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have, we might have another guest on, our, on that, on next week's show. Uh, cause we are going to be reviewing, uh, Marvel's Black Widow. Um, that is premiering in theaters, uh, July 9th. Uh, and streaming on Disney Plus Premium Access if you don't feel safe to go out and check it out. Um, I might, we might go see that in theaters. I don't know. I'm curious to like 
Well, you haven't been in a movie theater in a while. I haven't been in a movie theater in a while, but now, I mean, that's a longer conversation for, <laughs> for what's going on with variants. Yeah. Delta, Lambda, whichever the variant is. <laughs> Alpha, Beta. And no, all there shit. is a Lambda as well. That's another, another. <sighs> yeah, that's what I'm like. That's a longer conversation. Folks. Take the fucking vaccine. If anyway. You, if you don't have a medical exemption and if you're of age, please, for the love of God, get <laughs> vaccinated or we're never going to get through this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the geriatric, before I forget, the geriatric cinematic that we're going to pair up with Black Widow is 1973's Lady Snowblood. Um, that sounds amazing. I've never seen it. I've heard about it. I think you'll enjoy it. I like the title. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like a Japanese, like kind of like samurai s. Yeah, I'm opera. already there. I'm already there. <laughs> Just with the title alone, Lady Snowblood. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that is streaming on HBO Max, the Criterion Channel, or is available to rent on uh, Prime Video, Apple TV, and other VOD services. Um, and the topic for that will be: first comes the red, then comes the blood. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so yeah we're gonna bid you guys adieu uh or bid you bid you folks adieu uh before that um i definitely gotta give a shout out to uh richard donner uh the legendary director behind superman one two lethal weapon goonies j- screws a plethora of like nostalgia films um he well, he lived a full life. He recently just passed as as the day of this recording. He died at the age of 91. And his career spans over like 50 years. He started like in 1961 just doing like Twilight Zone, uh, Man from Uncle and stuff like that. I got really scared and thought you were going to say Twilight. Oh, and then he directed Twilight? Oh, he would have shot his career in the <laughs> foot if he did that. Um, so... Yeah, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and leave you guys off with a nice little story. Um, I, it was it was a pretty hectic night when my daughter was born. Uh, I was... <laughs> Less for you. You weren't doing the work. Uh, yeah, I wasn't doing the work, <laughs> but I was still like, holy shit. <laughs> but I remember I remember being in the uh, the delivery room with, uh, with my kid's mother and everything. The doctors are like doing it because she's getting c-section the doctors are doing this kind of stuff making sure everything's okay but it seemed like really 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 hectic for me and and i remember uh after all this is going on the doctor like looked at me and he was like hey you're feeling all right and i remember this line that richard donna said during the interview as the doctor looked at me and said is everything okay i said with the omen i really felt i wasn't in control it was panic (laughs) 